Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, August 8th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. Team from Pittsburgh Power is here joining me. We'll hear from them and then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up. If you have a question about maintenance, anything goes. We can talk about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, you name it. We'll tackle it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. Those phone lines are open, so start dialing 855-950-3835. Let me see what we got going. Oh, no Bruce today. I didn't know about that. Let's, uh, let's jump right in and find out what's going on with Pete and Leroy. Good morning, guys. Who... Uh, who authorized Bruce to take a day off? I don't remember doing that. No, no one did. That's what I was going to ask you about. If you gave him permission to, or he just did that on his own. Yeah, I think he did this on his own. Yeah, that's what we need to talk to him then. Yeah, that's not going to work. All right, Pete, since you jumped in, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning. Good morning. I was just going to go over what's in our shop today. And we have a couple interesting trucks in there. We have a, depends on what you think is interesting. <laughs> So there's a big cam in here, uh, anti-big cam, but it's a really cool truck. It is a uh, AM General Army truck, oh. and where's up the, the tires are almost as tall as him, and he can't climb in it. Almost. So he's upset about that. But oh, truck, I see. Uh, the gentleman, um, it was used. The truck was used to pull other trucks out of uh, ditches or whatever in Alaska, and it's got these huge knobby tires. I got it on your website. I want the truck. Got pictures of it there. It'll be on our website too. And uh, it's got a big cam engine in it. We're putting injectors in it. The customer had bought pumping injectors and just didn't get around to doing the injectors, so he had us do it. So we're going to put the injectors in it, throw it in the dyno, set up the fuel pump, and and uh, increase the horsepower. He's going to need it with what he has. But he claims he gets uh, six miles to gallon towing a small trailer, an army trailer behind it, that he made into living quarters. It's a, it's six, a pretty cool setup. Six miles to the gallon, huh? It looks, when you look at that thing, you'd, you'd think it'd be lucky to get two. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know about that one. Yeah, it, it, those are some huge tires, some big knobby uh, tires. Pretty uh, pricey ones at that. Big, with big that, tires. The, the whole truck looks extremely heavy. Um, forget aerodynamics. That's a mess. I, it's, like I said, I can't believe we're not measuring this thing in gallons per mile. Right. That's yeah. what I mean. If this thing gets fixed, what about all the people out there that are getting like five, five right. and a half? Like, right. How, how are you doing worse than this? You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. We need to, that's the and case. Uh, this gentleman needs to give some lessons to some of these other drivers. That's something. that big cam magic. Yeah. Yeah. What year is that big cam? Do you know? Uh, I don't. I don't know if they have a year down here. Let me find out real quick. I think it's you. engraved like K painting on the side, the serial number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. 83. 83. Okay. A-2 is what it is. Wow. It's better than something you would have saw in the service. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's that's. I went in in 82. This is what... And I remember these things. Boy, were they! Uh, what, what's the interior like on these on this one? Sparse. They are very, very sparse. Yeah, yeah. And he drives this. Apparently, he drove this from Alaska at some point. Oh, that would be a long trip. Boy, you are not kidding. But does anybody know what? What? It's probably got like four fifty-three gears or something in it, doesn't it? Well, so we're gonna. The gentleman's staying in his uh, camper. 
the trailer he converted over. So we're going to interview him at some point today. We were planning to this morning to get a chance. And we have all that on our website and throw it on your site as well. Yeah, good. He's a um, Vietnam veteran. He was overseas for, I don't know, four years or something like that. Oh, I, huh. yeah, he I didn't really talk. Yeah. So yeah. he enlisted uh, in 67. And uh, so he's a real interesting guy to talk to. So we'll get some more details on that um, what, at some point today or tomorrow. So what is what what is this truck used for now? I'm not sure. Huh. I don't know if he's still working in Alaska or it's just a toy. Yeah. I, I didn't spend much time with him. I talked to him for a few minutes and was tied up with some other projects. I yeah. Jordan was going to interview him for an article. Got it. Hey, are you guys on the um, the audio board today? We are. Can you turn up the volume a little bit? I've got I've got the volume on my end cranked way up, and I can just I'm just barely getting enough signal on you guys. Is that better? That's a little better, yeah. Whatever you just did, do a little more. He's still adjusting. How's that? Okay, that's good. I was able to turn my volume yeah, down on my okay. end. What was going to happen is when you're on the same line as the callers are going to come in on, and I have a feeling they were about to blast us because I had it cranked up so high. We got it turned up to 11, Kevin. There we go. I'm, I'm but, out of soundboard, did, so did, if you want it any louder, just ask us to talk louder. Donnie Iris sings, I got it turned up to 10. Well, we got it to 11. I, so. I get it. Okay. All right. <laughs> what uh, what else is on anybody's mind so this morning? Gonna, the trucks, I was going to go over what we have in here. We got a 2014 Paystar with an ISX getting a diesel force, DPF cleaning, checking oil leaks. I've got a 2021 ISX getting DPF cleaning in an OPS. Uh, we have a 3406A getting a Hawkeye in a cab over, 78 peak cab over. It's, it's actually pretty clean. It's really clean. Wow. A Hawkeye, a damper, and a radiator. And the ISX out of frames, the engine's built and it's back in the truck. And then at Detroit, that kind of snowballed when that shop left the injectors loose um, the engines here we're converting that engine from uh you know pulling off his old truck or old engine to the new engine what we need and have that installed in a day or two isn't isn't the one we have in the shop it's like a 2022 rebuild which is really weird oh that is weird no 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 no, no. Maybe that, I think yeah thinking of a different truck and then uh 07 motorhome with a 3126 getting tuned did you get that finished up today you guys working on that still I don't think. Oh, that's the one with the wiper issue that yeah. Tony's out there struggling with. Okay. Tony's having a hard time. He's having, yeah, the truck has wiper <laughs> issues. And the motorhome has, the coach has wiper issues as well as getting it to Like they don't work. That's kind of an issue. I mean, I that, suggested Rain-X <laughs> with some catalyst for ultimate Rain-X performance. But. Rain-X will do wonders. And I will tell you that. About my first four months of driving, and I was doing P&D work, which is just crazy because you're in the city, you're in all kinds of crazy spots. You got time pressures because you got to get to places before they close and you're doing 30 stops a day. And then you come back from a normal day of that. And there was one pickup that still needed to be made. And it's like eight o'clock at night and it's winter time. It's dark. I've been working 15 hours already and I had to go way out to the east side of Cleveland to pick this thing up. I'd never been over there before. I get over there. I back into the dock. It's a really tight building. So I'm struggling with everything and it starts pouring down rain and my windshield wipers quit. They were air operated. This was a really, this was like a 73 white road boss and it was the they operated off air and they were notorious for just stopping 
and not they were working. Jerky too, weren't they? Really jerky, they were yeah. Jerky. Yeah, they yeah. were just awful. So the only thing I could do was get. I luckily I had some uh, something similar to paracord, and I put it out the window, tied it to the right side, tied another one to the left side, brought it through the steering wheel, and I could use my hand left and right and actually clear off a little piece of windshield wow. while I was driving. Yeah, that was yeah. a MacGyver fix. Like, you said they're air actuated, so was it like a relay, like a fan, like the relay would allow I, air to flow through, or was it just like a constant of air? Air was like, instead of having an electric motor, it was an error-operated... Yes. I know, but was it yeah. like, you know, like a, a fan, like a relay would turn on and then it would send air to it? Was it like that? Or? I don't remember. I, don't I never worked on that other than to tie my string to it so I could get home. Um, I have no idea how those worked. <laughs> they didn't work very well, it I'll tell you that. No, not at all. And then the... the Did they even run air starters anymore? Oh, I had an air starter. Not it, that truck, but my first truck had an air starter. They worked well as long as you had air. They worked fantastic. Man, would they turn over an engine fast. And I, I just got yeah. really lucky on the old truck that I bought. And it, the other contractors bought several of those. Roadway put them up for sale and you couldn't beat the price. But um, mine was the only one out of about six of them in that terminal that would hold air all weekend. It would start up just fine on Monday and everybody else up there trying to re-air their trucks. And so when it, the other fun part was when you were bored, you could just sit in a parking lot, wait for somebody to walk right in front of your truck and then hit the air starter. That was always fun. Well, we, we, we did that in a shop. We would have the new guy stand beside the truck and say, hey, we're going to start this. Watch and see if there's anything goes on <laughs> the engine. Throw the crap out of you. They are loud. Just, yeah. They are terribly loud. Yeah. It's a frightening noise. I don't know if I've ever heard one. Oh, you hear one. It yeah. won't be the same, but you could probably find a video somewhere online. But you should experience one standing next to it once. I'll, I'll wait until there's one in the shop and set them up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll videotape it for us. Yeah. Can't, can't be many of them around. No, I haven't seen any for years, but they did crank a truck over quick, especially when, you know, the old big cams or even like earlier big cams and small cams that were hard to start in the winter that air starter had no problems firing them up. Right. Was the air starter like a, like a impact gun, like an air, a pneumatic gun, you know, it kind of sounds like, like one. Yeah. It might even be similar. Yeah. Hmm. They spun that engine over quickly. Yeah, they did. Nifty. All right. So that is it for me, Kevin. All right. Good stuff. Leroy, can you top that? I mean, I don't think so, but um, I've spent most of the morning playing uh, investigator detective with, um, I think it's the one of the ones that Pete talked about um, in this shop that had consistent issues with the DBF face plugging. And Eric handed me a folder this morning with, I don't know, it's about an inch thick of paperwork. And it's, it's kind of a sad situation. It's a 2021 579 with an X-15 and... The guy had no issues until about 250,000 miles. And from there, about every 30,000 miles, just another issue, another issue, oh another boy. issue. And they've had, I mean, I'm just digging through paperwork and receipts after receipts. I mean, it's really great that the guy has kept all these and you're able to put them in order and sort of tell a story. Yeah. Right? And we're, we're trying to get to the bottom of it. And there were some things along the way that I think that the text did, with the text, it was great. And then there were some things I'm, I'm still scratching my head. Like 
right off the bat at like 260,000 miles, they put a head on it because they said that they found coolant in the DPF. But then the text wrote, we don't feel like there's any coolant anywhere. Like we did, we have the test strips. We did uh, the leak test like you're supposed to. We pressurized the EGR cooler, repressurized the cooling system, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they found no leaks. And Cummins says, all right, well, you need to send the head out to have it pressure tested. Fair enough. They send the head out. It comes back and they say, yeah, it passed the test. What do you want us to do now? And maybe Pete, you can help me with this. This doesn't seem to make sense, right? They're, they're having a coolant issue. Mm-hmm. And then Cummins says, we want to have the valves checked to see if they're sealed. Now, I mean, yeah, we're coolant would get through there. And yeah, it doesn't make any sense. They said, well, we don't have the equipment to, to check the valves you just, to see if they're all sealed. And they're like, okay, well, if you don't have the equipment, then just put a head on it. Okay, well, that didn't solve the original issue. So they put a head on it. They put a new DPF and DOC on because I guess Cummins is paying for it. So why not? And they do all this and they, they put it outside for a regen and it immediately pops two more regen codes, the same ones that it came in with. So they bring it back in and they're like, oh, we'll put a DPF sensor on it. Okay, it looks like it reads right now. Ship it. And that just feels really unfair that, you know, it came with an issue, sat there for five weeks, and when they thought they were done, it had issues, and they just sort of slapped a sensor on it and sent it on its way. That just doesn't feel right. No, you know that's what awful. I mean, I mean there's, it's very difficult to say if a truck is fixed or not. I, I will give all shops that because, I mean, we have that issue too. Right. We think it's fixed. Right. You know, we go an 80-mile test drive. We put on the diner for two hours, and it still seems like it makes it an hour from here, and the light comes back on. It's really tough, but... When it fails during your verification test, that doesn't that doesn't feel good to me. I feel like you should go back through your diagnostic procedure. Uh, yes. But, <laughs> uh, that's just the start of sort of many questionable things that were along the way. Like the next one that was really questionable was it had a, a check engine light for um, the relay go. that controls. Yeah. That's right. Right. Hello? I, I have no idea what that was. Go ahead. <laughs> um, anyway, so the the deftoser relay had an issue, but then they replaced the deftoser. And it specifically, funny enough, says in the service bulletin, this code cannot be caused by anything except the relay or the wiring. But then they replaced the valve. And I think he actually got charged for that one, which is which is also pretty sad. Right. And now it's it had they replaced an SCR for some strange reason, which the the notes on that one is really bad. I mean, I think notes on repair orders is is something that every shop should do a really great job at. The first place did a pretty good job. This other place did not do a good job. Um, I I feel like if I was a owner operator and I got a repair order at a at a service counter, and it said like truck broke truck fixed, good to go. <laughs> you know, I would, I would be pretty upset. I will say, because I was just going through this on the coach, it's been in the shop forever. It's probably needs another month or two to get it done. But they sent me the summary of all the work they did. Incredibly detailed, telling me exactly what each problem was, you know, outlining it the way I submitted it. This is the problem. They went through every detail of what they did on each individual problem. I was really impressed with the paperwork. Yeah. I mean, and and it's really good because this guy is back in our shop now 
And I at least have some sort of trail to go off of because I think information can play telephone in your head where, you know, one day you know the truth and then six months later you tell the story again and it's a little different. Then you tell that story a little different again. <laughs> and by the time you end up here, the story I initially got about this truck was different than what the paperwork says. So it's really nice that it's at least written down and you can follow the trail because, yeah, the telephone game from person to person is uh, is really confusing. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And, and it also hides. If you lie to your service guy, like if you take your truck in somewhere and you lie to them or you say that you, you withhold information, it actually really hurts you in the long run. If they manage to fix it and you have no issues, then great. But I mean, if you continue to have issues, then yeah, it's just, it's just going to hurt you. So, I mean, if you're using fuel additives or if you're using um, this or you had this done, et cetera, just, just tell who's there, whoever's working on your truck. It, it just helps us on the back end. I mean, us as techs, we don't really care what you did to your truck. We just want to make sure that it's fixed right. So I guess that's just a sometimes an annoying thing that, that yes. comes out where the, the whole truth is not told right off the bat. Yeah, good point. All right. But yeah, that's kind of uh, been my morning. All right. We're going to get to calls here in a second. Hey, one of the things I've been paying attention to are these uh, delivery robots, not vehicles that run on the street, but these delivery robots that use the sidewalks for delivering, I don't know, food, groceries, whatever. Um, starting to see those actually being used in cities. And I don't know if anybody thought about this or not. People are just pushing them over. <laughs> it, Weird. It, why didn't we foresee this? I mean, we should have known, especially when you run these things through cities and there's a bunch of homeless drug addicts all over the sidewalk. Who knows what they're going to do? It's just like those those little scooters go to any uh, city that has a river and yeah. look at the banks. <laughs> Joe and I were in uh, Nashville last year for the NASDAQ show yeah. and there had to be a half dozen of those little scooters in the river. Well, we're, we're kind of like Pittsburgh. We have, we have a couple rivers coming through our city and they pull those things out of the river constantly here. People just toss just them feel in. Like the delivery robots, the delivery robots, no matter if you think it's a good idea or not, I just don't think it's something that we need. You know, because there's no way around it. I mean, people are going to grief your robots. They're going to push over because it's funny. That's what I or, mean. They, you know, they, they're going to speak about. They're going to have to. Uh, how about this? If I had one of these robots, are we allowed to electrify them? Yeah. What What happens then if you design a robot that fights back? Right. You know? Right. Now you've I been just, assaulted by a robot. Yeah. That company's under fire. There's <laughs> no way to solve this problem. Well, when you watch some of these videos, it's in Hollywood. I mean, the thing's trying to get down the sidewalk and it's going to take it forever because it has to keep going off into the grass to get around homeless people sleeping. And it, it seems to do really well, but it's not getting anywhere very fast because of all the obstacles. And then people kick it and some people are just pushing them over. Now, what do you do? Yeah. Well, weren't they putting cones on the driverless cars in cities and they would just stop and yeah. they didn't know what to do yeah have traffic <laughs> the traffic comes put on the hood yeah we we didn't think through some of the simplest ways these things aren't going to work i, I kind of like that the delivery rope right back i think that'd be kind of like battle boss kind of deal you know what battle boss was fun yeah get yeah what yeah. what about I mean, this i mean 
delivery robots are one thing. What about drones out in the country? People are going to shoot them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just for something to do. Right, just just because they can. They're going to. Well, I watched... Uh, it flew over my grass. On, uh, on, uh, on Patrol Live, that show I love watching on the weekends where you see all kinds of people doing stupid stuff and getting caught. They were chasing a criminal... And this is a pretty serious issue, if I remember right. The guy had a gun and they're chasing him all over. They got dogs. They've got everything going on. They deploy the drone. The drone finds him and he shoots the drone and he hit it. First shot, too. If it flies, it dies. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Huh. All right. Uh, I saw another article about the Flippy, the uh, fast food robot that's going to replace all of the fast food workers i just like the name flippy flippy that was good that's a good her. one yeah <laughs> yeah huh i don't know. i don't know the robot thing's kind of scary it'll still mess up my order i know it I, yeah no doubt all right let's get to some phone calls let's uh let's go to florida to get started tony welcome like having no wing boarding yesterday? There is zero wind here right now for some reason, and I'm not sure why. This is very right. unusual well, for this time of year. It's like three or four days in a row. I'm looking outside right now. Nothing is moving. I haven't even checked the forecast today, but something happened to our winds. They just disappeared. I got a question for you. All right. With my manifold uh, and the turbo that needs to be uh, to be rebuilt or replaced with that bearing that's making the, the buzzing on the Packer, in, in case you don't remember, um, what shop would not want me to pay them to replace that? And you'll remember it's got the manifold bolts as well, so it could use a manifold. What shop would not want my money to do that? And I won't mention Pittsburgh Power's name, but in case Bruce calls, I, I might have to go. Well, we don't do much work on pack cars. Problem is we're, we're, we can't get the software we need, um, parts, we, and we just don't have experience in it. And, and it would not do you any justice bringing something like that that we haven't done before. I mean, we're primarily Cat Cummins in Detroit. And... Uh, it, it, you know, I don't want to charge you eight hours for a four-hour job, and I also don't want to eat four hours simply because I've never done the work before. So there are times we turn jobs down because it's not beneficial to us or the customer. So, Kevin, and that's a good answer. Thank you, Pete. How much carbon monoxide, if I leave this until I can find a shop where and I can do it and have the time, is carbon monoxide running the engine uh, so I can sleep with the AC? Is that a big problem, do you think? No, it's really not. People are kind of shocked by this. Diesel engines don't put out a lot of carbon monoxide. In fact, it's, it's difficult to kill yourself with a diesel engine because all the other stuff in the exhaust will irritate the hell out of you first. Your eyes are running. You can't breathe very well. But you're not getting a ton of carbon monoxide yet. Whereas a car, you kind of barely notice the exhaust and then you fall asleep and you die. Uh, so there is a big difference in carbon monoxide levels from gas to diesel. Now, I wouldn't say it's not, it, it's, I, it's not dangerous. It could potentially be, but it's pretty rare. Most people just notice that 
they're they're inhaling exhaust because it's so irritating and that happens long before you get enough carbon monoxide to die that day when i was getting diagnosed and they finally found it what that buzzing was um and i said nobody would be able to do this not how is this humanly possible but i was literally thinking nobody uh, can do all the work that i do i did get a headache now is that the power of suggestion no i was I, thinking I, the whole time oh, i was God, about to say it's going to kill me even though it's not going to kill us i i wouldn't want to be exposed to those fumes all that often so I, 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 I would, yeah, if I, if I were trying to, if I were trying to sleep in the truck and I could smell exhaust, I wouldn't do it. And again, it's not going to kill you, but that's, that's just some nasty stuff to be breathing the whole time you're sleeping. If you can smell it, there's a problem. Yeah, no, I couldn't smell anything, but, uh, I had worked out a lot and it was late, hardly got any sleep. So I think it's more that cause I get those before. You know, even yeah. without being in a truck. Um, what about the catalyst? That's supposed to cut down on uh, carbon monoxide, or is that just just soot? Well, it's going to improve combustion and reduce soot. And, and I'm sure that was years ago that we did the testing with the uh, emissions equipment. Um, I, I think it reduces everything across the board, but you're still getting quite a bit of exhaust coming out of that uh, truck. Now, this tech did say, I can't remember exactly, but pretty much that the truck will outlive me with this uh, bearing, even though it sounds, you know, it choo-choos pretty badly, like the old locomotives, like through the, I guess, those manifold holes, you can hear it. And then the, the whining of the turbo itself, and he said it's like up against the frame, like whatever that bearing is, it's, it's like where there's no bearing anymore. He said it would last, uh, you know, where I didn't have to worry about it. What do you think? I'm not familiar with the problem at all to be able to give you a good answer. I, I just don't know what's going on with that engine. We just don't see enough of them. Yeah, my guess is that for the manifold bolts to come out or get, you know, to where you have to chisel them out and they're missing, there's something going on inside the engine. My oil sample last time was good. It's probably been, I don't know, 40,000 miles. I do want the OPS system as well. I wonder if I'd be allowed to come in for that. Cause, yeah, we can know, put I the OPS line. Yeah, that's not a problem. All right. Now, as far um, as manifold bolts breaking, I mean, we've seen that on all engines. You have a lot going on there. You have expansion, contraction. And sometimes what happens, manifolds are three pieces, and they expand and contract. There are times, though, it will expand and not contract, and the next time it heats up, expands a little more. Uh, you know, we, we'll see this on any engine, um, more so like on the Acerts because of the heat. you got those two turbos. Everything's tight in there. They do it. We see this on motorhomes because they don't have uh, – it, it's just so hot in that compartment. And, and generally, a lot of motorhomes don't have a big enough engine, so they're working the crap out of it. Uh, they don't have a pyrometer in there. Pyrometer – Pyrometer temperatures go up, and, and they're not aware of it. Uh, years ago, we did a lot with the 5.9s. Like it was the entry-level diesel engine for motorhomes, and I would say had, half of them had broken exhaust manifold bolts for that reason. So it's not there could be nothing wrong with the engine, and that happens. Thanks a lot, Pete. That that makes me feel a lot better. I mean, I feel nothing. I go right up to those where those uh, holes are, and I don't feel nothing. I don't think anything's wrong, but. Let me jump to to that 
Packard driver that was calling in about the super singles, I think, Kevin, if I just may, it, he might be listening. You know, my super singles lasted 430,000 miles, and this set is, is uh, probably going to do the same. He, he asked something, uh, I think it was about super singles, on a Packard, and yeah, that's just, and uh, yeah, they're a little shaky on the rain as far as braking, but but yeah, 430,000 miles on those things, and you never have to balance them, match them up. It sounded like you were in favor of them now. Wide singles, me? That, it, yeah, because you don't have to, uh, the, for the price and for the resistance, I, The you mentioned the I've been, uh, turnover. I've been promoting these since ratio. the first time they came out back in the early 2000s. And we had some problems with them. They dealers weren't stocking them enough, and there were some other issues, and they went away. Uh, and then I'm trying to remember when they came back. Which oh no, I remember specifically I, when I tried to buy my 05. Um, it was a Freightliner. I wanted to spec wide singles on it from the factory, and they wouldn't do it because it was a single axle. They actually told me it would be unstable. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. But they would not put wide singles on it from the factory on a single axle. They would do a tandem axle. They wouldn't do a single. And then it was like a month later that I pull into the parking lot at FedEx, and we have a whole bunch of new converter dollies, and guess what they're equipped with? Wide singles. If if they believe that it's unstable on the tractor, what's the weakest link in a set of doubles? Your converter dolly. If we need something to be stable, it would be that. But they were putting them on that. Um, and I will tell you, if you've ever had to move dollies around by hand, the wide singles made a huge difference. Those things were so much easier to push and turn by hand with wide singles on them. So um, I converted that truck probably three or four months after I bought it. So I, I've been promoting wide singles since 05. Yeah, that that's just typical of, of all those large conglomerates. You know, it makes too much sense. Again, while I love being uh, a independent for all these, you know, uh, lease operators, take pride in having your authority. You I, don't have to downplay anybody else. It's fun not having to wear a uniform. There you go. I know that's not hey, power, but... It, Here's how committed I was to wide singles. I really like them. And I've told the story many times. I got to spend a couple of days at Michelin's Proving Grounds and got to drive trucks. You would get out of one truck completely equipped with wide singles. There would be an identical truck trailer and load right next to it with duels. And you got to run through all the courses with each truck and see the difference in handling in my opinion, the, the wide singles wins in just about every contest for handling. Can they break loose a little yeah. sooner sometimes? A little bit. But we put, actually, this one was a straight truck. It was like a 20-foot straight truck, if I remember right. And we did it on what they called their wet track. So it's an oval, and they must have the biggest sprinkler system in the world. You drive around this track, and it's like being in the worst rainstorm you've ever been in. And the point of it is they just, they're talking to you and they want you to keep going faster and faster around the oval until you crash, basically. They want you to spin out and you figure out at what speed they'll break loose. 
Duels and wide singles broke loose within a couple miles an hour of each other. They were always really close. The difference was the wide singles, you could just drift them really nice. The duels kept snapping back on you. They were much, much harder to control once they did break loose. So I've been a proponent of these for a long, long time. Yeah, I just got them because they look cool. I was like, what? How does that carry the weight? And then I go in and I ask, well, they can actually carry more. What are you talking about? So, yeah, because they're rated for the same. So I was pretty much sold at that point. But then again, you got to watch breaking. That would be the only concern for me, having had them for like five years. Never had a problem breaking at all. The, the, the one thing you can notice, especially when they start to get down and tread, um, you can break loose tires a little easier in the water. But that's accelerating. I never had an issue breaking. I, I was committed enough to these. I spent two days and a couple hundred dollars, well, probably more than that by the time we were done, trying to put wide singles on my coach on, that, on the front drive axle. Uh, I really wanted them on there. We just could not do it. We tried everything. Um, we were, we were, yeah, I was going to ask, why don't you put them on the coach? That was why we tried it. It's got a weird axle. The hubs were weird. It wouldn't accept any of the, the wide single rims. We tried changing out some parts. We tried all kinds of stuff. We just, we couldn't get it done. Finally, I just gave up. I don't know why it was that difficult. the trailer that I rent and they got mad at me because evidently the axle wasn't made for the uh, super singles and I had to pay to put them back and sell my, you know, brand new super singles for nothing because the, the trailer company didn't want them on there for that trailer. So the one thing we we haven't talked about in a long time, we used to talk about this all the time, was there there are different rims for the wide singles. And what we're looking at is what they call the outset. A lot of people call it offset. It's the same thing. How far out does the wheel stick? Um, they started with two inch outsets. And the reason was that puts the edge of the wide single exactly where the edge of your duels are now on the outside. So they wanted that same track and they got it. The problem was that puts too much stress on the axle. Duels sit there nice and, and level, but that one tire sticking way out there, the axle actually starts to flex. And we get inside tire wear. Um, I had, when I tried the two inch outset, I got that axle and that hub hot enough that it melted the plastic cover. You know, the little chrome plastic covers you can stick over them, it melted. The axle got hot enough with the two inch yeah. outset. They make a one inch and a zero. The zero is the way to go, but it's kind of goofy because it brings your tire track in a couple inches and it doesn't even match your trailer track anymore, but that is the way to go. Or if you have two inch outset wheels, you can flip them around and they be, if you turn them the other way, they become like three quarter inch outset and that works too. I got to ask you, have you seen these pickup trucks that will put the second, like a tandem axle they'll put an extra axle there is that just goofing around or is there a legitimate purpose for that because it's just like atvs you know maybe fishing boats and oh, just off-roaders i i've seen some of these trucks built with with two axles 
I, I don't get the point of it at all, other than just to do it because you can do it. I don't see any advantage. Most of the dually pickups today are not limited by their weight carrying capabilities. They're limited by the engine and the brakes, if anything. So I, I don't know what good that, that axle is going to do. Pete, Leroy, any, have you seen those? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's just gimmicky. That's all it, it seems cool. like to me. I can't see yeah, any, right. any advantage to it. Thing. Like you said, the suspension, everything's strong enough. So no, it, yeah, we you can never need another axle. There's some dualies out there with some incredible weight ratings. Oh yeah. And I mean, most of the time you're not putting that much weight in an eight foot or yeah, an eight right. foot bed anyway, right. you're going to be towing it. So it's not, there's not a lot of weight actually on like the, the fifth wheel. The suspension so, itself. Yeah, I can't right. see a case you ever need that. Yeah. I, I don't either. Unless maybe for traction, like if you were off road, but boy, I mean, yeah, you know, that, just, sometimes, yes, sometimes hung up with an actual the extra axle low. gets you hung up, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. All yeah. right, we're gonna a gimmick. It is pickup guys. We're gonna move along. We're gonna go to Kansas. Neil, welcome. Hey, sir. I actually have a technical question on the. A DD15 that we were having issues with. All right, go ahead. Um, it's a emissions related. We've got a it's a GHG17 platform for the emissions, but it has a DPF efficiency code, and it keeps going into a closed loop fault. We went ahead and cleaned the filters, had them checked at DPF alternatives. They came back fine. We changed the soot sensor. We went ahead and did the def pump and the metering unit. And we were still, it'll go for about four or 500 miles, and then it'll put itself back into a, a NOx efficiency situation, whatever. But the, the uh, NOx sensors tested fine on DDL. And the weirdest thing is we do have emulators that I can use to um, bypass the ACM so I can get broken trucks back home. If we put that on it, it shows everything fine on the ACM side but something in the MCM is still putting it into a closed loop bulb. So what are we looking for that could do that still? So I guess a couple of things. You you said something twice. You initially said it's a DPF efficiency, and then you said it's an SCR efficiency. But from what you're describing, it sounds like it's a SCR efficiency issue, and it's a, the closed loop control, right? Yeah, and I can, I can do the regen. I can go through and the SCR knock efficiency routine afterwards and it's showing like over 90% and it'll clear it out and then um, to get it back so I don't have to go in the tow truck after we clear everything I'll put an emulator on it and it'll which tells the computer that everything is um, fine on the ACM side and then what I'm seeing on the computer is that something on the MCM is still putting it in a closed loop bolt yeah, so I, I don't have the fault codes in front of me, but from what it sounds like, the, the SCR closed loop fault means that the SCR system is working as hard as it can. It's dosing as hard as it can to get to um, that NOx level, and it can't go anymore. Uh, is, if no, no, we're talking about the same no, I understand that. that. No, I understand that, but with the emulator on, it's not sending that information anymore. It's getting information from the emulator that everything is fine on the ACM. So we've cut right. that out. The only so what, closed loop fault that we're getting is coming from the MCM. 
and the MCM is saying SCR. What's the what's the fault code in the MCM? Oh, I gotta look at it. It's it's not even a fault code for that. It's just for the closed loop status. It'll throw it in like five hundred. Yeah, closed loop doesn't tell me a whole lot. Yeah, that's well. That's why it's confusing me because that's all it. That's the only code it'll throw, and it will not. And what's worse is the code doesn't show up on the dash, and it doesn't always show up on the um, ELD. But I can find it on the laptop. So it'll throw no faults, but it'll still put it in a closed loop. Yeah, I mean, closed loop is a, is a just a term for just normal feedback control. So, but, but you don't know what the fault number is. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, I have the wrong truck. No, I do not. All right. But well, if you get could it, a bad, could a bad MCM do that? I don't really know what the fault code is, so it's hard to say. But I mean, yeah, bad MCM could cause some goofy things. Okay, because it's not it's not showing any ACM faults. It's only showing them on the MCM. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know without the without the number which way to even point you. Because like I said, closed loop doesn't really mean a whole lot. Okay. Then what if you get it? You can call me back. We can work through it. Okay. I mean, we've kind of eliminated most things, and then bypassing the ACM, it's it was kind of weird because it's like, where where is it getting its information? Then a, a test I would try is I would I would leave the sensors on it, run run your efficiency test, see what your your readings are for your dosing amount. Like it should give you a a unit in milligrams or. I can't remember exactly what the dosing unit is, but write down how much it's dosing and then put your emulators on and then rerun the test and see what that is. I think oh, that you, can't, you can't run it. Yeah, you can't run it with the emulators because it doesn't, it, it's not hooked up to the ACM anymore. So the emulator just um, feeds back uh, good numbers. Right. So it's only good numbers for like idle or something. Uh, no, it's... I don't know. It's it's a weird device. We just use it to get stuff off the road, but it shows on. Um, it basically shows a good. I don't know. It's got a microprocessor and does its thing. Yeah. So it it's just it's just sending back um, numbers on the CAN bus back to the ACM. What it thinks good readings should be. So is it good readings while it's going down the road? Is it good readings while it's idling? Um, if it's good readings while going down the road, like if your intake one's coming back at. 500 and the outlet's coming back at 550, then I would try to um, put it in a similar situation and see what the dosing rate is. Okay. Well, you can't even you can't even connect to it to read it. Okay. But kind of weird. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, if you find that fault code, give me a call and we'll uh, we'll work through it. Yeah, we'll we'll get it back and reconnect it, but it because it'll throw that same closed loop whatever it'll send it into the bits um, when it's connected to the ACM. But then it's still trying to do the same thing without the ACM, and so I was kind of confused on that. Mm. Yeah, like I said, uh, need a little bit more than closed loop. So, okay. Um, another question I had with truck prices, and I think your guest yesterday said California was going to start checking emissions at the border. Do you think that could cause truck prices for non-deleted trucks to go up? Uh, probably not. It's not a big enough issue to really move the needle on that kind of stuff. Okay. 
I, I was just because we're shopping for trucks right now, and I keep running into deleted ones, and notice the pricing on those is going down. Yeah, I think that would happen. The price on those will go down. I don't see it putting enough pressure. I don't think there are enough of them being sold to put any pressure on um, other truck prices to go up. All the pressure on truck prices now is still pushing things down. And keep in mind, you know, if you get if you do buy a deleted truck and plan on putting it back together, we've seen the bills upwards of twenty five grand to get everything back on. So if you get if you get oh, the truck cheap enough, it might be cost effective, but you have to get it, you know, darn cheap to make it worthwhile. No, I I wouldn't even touch it because I the one I looked at when I plugged into it, they had deleted it at like five hundred thousand miles, and the average fuel mileage was five miles a gallon. I'm like, why? You know it. I didn't realize it was deleted until I got there. I'm, I'm not yeah, good thing investing money in that direction. What'd you say? Good thing that you checked that. Because I've had guys buy trucks oh. and bring them here and, you know, not realize they were deleted. Kind of hard not to. It said it was 0% uh, on the death level and it was still running. I was like, yeah, some people don't yeah, check stuff like right. that, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, they simply like the truck and they buy it. No, I've been burned enough in the past. I'm trying to avoid that going forward. I'm glad you're chatting. As far as changing a, I guess one last question, then I'll get out. On a um, fuel pumps on DD15 platforms, what causes them to fail? The fuel pump? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Is there something you can do to extend the life? Or? What? Well, the quality of fuel, I mean, just on, on any engine, there's less lubricant in fuel, there's more water in it, the, the biodiesel is not very good. Um, you know, a, a good additive that's going to add some lubricity or maybe disperse some water can help with the life of the fuel system. Water is a big problem yeah. in, in fuel. Lack of lubricity is a problem. Do you, do you have like an average expected lifespan for them? No, we don't see a lot of meetings with the fuel pump issues. We've yeah. seen with quantity control valve issues. That's I mean, that's been like that for years. But I haven't seen too many with fuel pumps. But I mean, we just don't see a lot of DDs, unfortunately. I'd like to see more, but just don't see them. Yeah, that was kind of all I had. All right, we're gonna move along because calls are starting to pile up on us. Jump in and join us eight five five. Nine five zero three eight three five. We're gonna head off to Idaho. Gary, it's your turn. Hi, I've got an e-model cat engine. I've been comparing the the water temp, the coolant temperature on the gauge would be right at one eighty. On the scan gauge, it would show two thirteen, two fifteen. So my engine fan is running a little extra. I put a new sending unit in. Now the gauge on the dash reads 200 idling and the scan gauge still reads 215. Have I got a bad sending unit that I just put in or what is your thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, it sounds like the sending unit you put in is right. I don't know if I've ever seen a sending unit and a cooling coolant level sensor read the same. One, I don't think that they read from the same place, right? I think the coolant temperature sensor is a little bit lower on the front of the engine and the sending unit is up on top, right? Well, that's what I don't know. They what I, they told me the on the E-model, the 1LW, that it has one sending unit and it has one wire on it, but they were trying to tell me the ECM and gauge on the dash reads from the same place, but I didn't understand how that could be possible. No, they don't. I mean, the, the sending unit 
is just for your dash, just for the gauge. It's like like a boost sensor, like a manual boost gauge reads just from uh, an airline from the intake to the gauge itself. Your sending right. unit is a thing. It's its own sensor, and there's one wire that runs up to the uh, the dash or two, depending on the type of sending unit. And then the ECM has its own sensor, its own um, two-wire sensor that's sort of down on the front a little bit, like halfway uh, halfway down. Oh, I'll yeah, look they, for that. Different things. Okay. Why? And just the difference in the sending units, how come it would go from reading 180 to jump clear up to 200 sitting there idling, not even full at full operating temperature. So, you know, something I would do, and I've talked about this before is get one of those digital heat guns and shoot the thermostat housing where the sending unit is and see where it's at. Those are generally pretty accurate. Okay. And kind I'm going to do that. Kind of I mean, you, you do have to let it run for a while so that the metal temp is the same as the, the you, coolant You're going to drive it and pull it over and, yeah, shoot but, it then. You don't want to just fire the truck up and take a reading. Yeah, right. Either exactly. that, or you need to have some sort of calibrated, uh, calibrated sensor. Usually, that's the ECM one. So, are you sure that it's not the ECM coolant temp sensor that's reading wrong? I'm not sure. That's what I was just trying. That's just where I started. Was the coolant temperature sending unit? That's uh, just where I started. I like I say I'm trying to get better information because the dealer was not giving me good information. Yeah. So if it were me. I would like. I would tend to believe the new sending unit you put in was calibrated and manufactured at a factory to read pretty close, and you're getting around 200 something. So 200 sitting I, there at an idle, warming up. Like the end of dead cold. Yeah, I, I started it in the shop, pulled it out, hooked it on the trailer, left it running for 10 minutes, 15 minutes while you're airing up the trailers. I get in and it's reading 200, and I'm like, what the hell? Uh-huh. Yeah, if you have a dead uh-huh. dead cold engine that you just started and you're warming up and you're getting some erratic reading like that, you either have, I mean, A, uh, gauge, wiring, sending unit, well, grounding issue. Um, hey, hey Leroy, <laughs> 15 minutes at idle, yep. no airflow, is that really unusual? I mean, I get when it, if you start it up and you see that kind of number in the first couple of minutes, but after 15 minutes of idling, moving in and out of the shop, then sitting and idling another 15 minutes, is, are we really that far off? Well, I'm, I'm under, maybe I'm wrong. I'm understanding it as he just starts it, walks inside and looks at the, the gauge. Oh, well, we should clarify because I thought I heard him say after 15 minutes. No, I started it in the shop. I changed the sending unit, and then I I didn't. Then I let it sit, you know, to fill the coolant back up. Another day, I'm ready to go to work. I started the truck; it aired up, so I could release the brakes. I go outside, get fuel, hook on the trailer to air up the trailers. And before changing the sending unit, it'd still be reading 150, 160. Okay, that was the other and thing I was going to ask. Do you have? Yeah, history of this. So something changed then. Okay. Something changed. And, and that and temperature I gotta, would make more sense. I, I don't think it would get up to operating temperature just idling unless it's extremely hot out. I don't yeah, think and it, it's raining. We have no yeah. load. Yeah. It's raining and cool, so there's no way it's 200 degrees. Yeah, I don't uh, think so. so I gotta, I'll got. i check my wires. I'll shoot the housing with the temp gun. Um, and you're saying... ECM also reads two two fifteen uh, during this period. Yeah, the ECM is yeah. still reading two fifteen. Yeah, that, on the that's, stand gauge. Okay, have, have you? Re- so I think you need to replace the coolant temp sensor 
and then see what your reading is then. Because if your ECM is doing that, then yeah, that's messing all sorts of stuff up as far as the timing and feeling goes. Yeah. Okay. I will figure that out where that one is and I'll change that and go from there. Thank you for the help. It's a two wire sensor. So if that, that's what the one you're looking for. So, okay. I will find it. Thank you. All right. Thanks okay. for the call. Okay. Let's go to, oh, let me drop that one. Let's go to West Virginia. Michael, welcome. Hey, you guys having a good day today? We are. What's on your mind? Um, the, the gentleman that called in about, uh, I felt bad for him for about the super singles on, but last year I looked into buying a new flatbed, um, this Fontaine 52, just trade my four year old one off and getting a new one. And I, I wanted to order it with super singles on it. And they said, well, we make all of them with tapered axles. So if you want super singles, it's a couple grand more. Cause they got to put a, instead of a tapered uh, axle or a tapered spindle, they have to put a straight axle on it. And, uh, I thought that was kind of unusual cause I've been running super singles on mine. It's got tapered axles. And I called Mike Beckett on it. He says, well, if you're, there's a 20,000 pound axles, the Henderson axles, and if you're going to be running 20,000 pounds per axle all the time, yes, you would want the straight axle. But he said on a spread axle, if you got, you know, 40,000 pounds, you got 20,000 on your tractor and 20,000 back there. So you really only have 10,000 pounds. I've never had any wear issues, but I guess it's bearing wear issues. And so if the trailer is loaded all the time, that's where the issue comes in. But I just thought I'd tell you that. Got it. That's why they didn't want the other axles on or the other tires on. They had tapered axles. They're not technically not technically supposed to do that, I guess. But it, I've never had any issues with it. You so. know, it's why we had all the the confusion in the beginning with that inside tire wear. The the outset of the rim affected it. The style of the axle. There were uh, axles with with heavier tubing that would handle it. There were some axles that were a little shorter and then that would change the outset. So it was really confusing in the beginning. And for the most part, we hardly ever talk about this anymore. I mean, I think for the most part, the yeah. industry has got this figured out. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, my loads, I never worry about it because I'm never, I think my heaviest load is 40,000 pounds. So, yeah, it was, you know, those axles are. It was interesting on mine when I built the glider and we were just pulling the um, the fifth wheel around with it. Like I said, I got, actually got the, the hub hot enough. It melted one of those plastic things, but I never got that funny inside tire wear. Well, I, I, I got, I've got the light axle on my truck. I've got two inch offsets. Um, and I don't know, I've had super singles on it for. In 12 years, I've never had any odd wear, and I yeah, have a you know it, six by two, and it's up. It's you know I max out that axle back there a lot of times. Yeah, I've never ever had any issues with any of that stuff, and that's the light housing, right? So, and the two inch outside. I, I, I know that's why it was so confusing. Right. Yeah. Now my trailer, I put zero offsets because the trailers are wider than your truck, so right zero offsets back there, and then the trailer is tracking in your track. Correct. You know, your truck track. Right. Which is the other thing to try so, to get. And, right. and if, 
you know, if you only right. own the tractor and you put the zero outset, you just have to realize your trailer is going to track wider than your truck does. Right. Yeah. And when you're going down state highways with that groove in the road, it'll, it's, you'll notice it, it. It feels weird. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I got. All right. Thank you guys. Have a good day. Good stuff. Let's go to Illinois. Jim, welcome. Hey, good morning, guys. Good hey, morning. I have a, uh, I have a 2019, I have a 2019 ISL Cummins. It's a nine liter. Um, it's in a fire truck. I had to come in the other day, smoking real bad, blowing black on acceleration at idle. It was blowing bluish, whitish, whatever. I, I hooked it up to my Cummins Insight, and surprise, surprise, a whole bunch of DPF codes came up. So okay, it's probably time to take it off and get it cleaned. Well, I got it. I got the whole DPF system down, and the entire DPF melted down to nothing. The, the whole, all that honeycomb stuff and all that stuff inside was just a big pile of goo. Do you, what caused that? And do I have an engine problem that caused that? Or did the, P, did the BT, BPF just take a crap? Um, typically, what causes melted DPFs, um, one is bad sensor readings. If it thinks it's only 800 degrees Fahrenheit, and then it's just got to keep injecting um, you know, diesel out of the seventh ejector to try to bring the heat up. So that can cause a melted one. Uh, you can have a melted DPF if you have some sort of fuel contamination or a buildup of soot, and then you'll get like a runaway sort of situation. Uh, what reminds me of, I had a, D, I had a DD-15 that we melted the uh, DPF from the dyno one time. We were doing diagnostics and we were putting it under a heavy load, and I'm sitting there watching the, the temperatures. It comes up to a normal driving region, um, about 900, 980,000. And then all of a sudden, I just see the temperatures take off. It went 15, you know, 1,200, 13, 15, 17. And at that point, we just tried to shut it down as quick as we could. But at that point, um, you basically had a fire inside. All the either the fuel, fuel buildup, soot buildup, it just takes off. And then next thing you know, melt the DPF. Um, those are the kind of two biggest things that uh, usually cause melted DPF is bad sensors or buildup contamination of some sort. If I, if I had bad, if I had bad sensors, shouldn't I have had some, some uh, check engine lights come out before this happened? Not always. No, not always. Uh, okay. Depending on if the reading a little bit off or the reading really off. Usually if they're reading really off, you'll get like a data erratic, incorrect fault code. Um, yeah, if they I, don't work at I all. Had that. Get, don't work. At all. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I was just, I was just wondering, to make sure I, I didn't have an engine problem that caused this. No, the only engine problem that would cause that is if your engine was just shooting raw fuel out of it, um, or somehow you have post-turbo pyrometer at melting temperatures, and if you have post-turbo melting temperatures of like seventeen hundred degrees, then your turbo is toast. So, so I, I could, okay, well, I should be able to read all those temps on the insight then and just make sure the temps are within a normal range or whatever. Right. When you put your new DPF in, you're going to want to run a read in or something, even though it's new, um, okay. just to verify the temperature up to what they're supposed to. 
Make sure that okay. the seventh injector. You said it's an X15, right? Or twenty uh, nine? No, liter. Uh, oh, it's a nine. Liter. Uh, L9, an L9 I, ISL. ISL. That one might not have a seventh injector. Uh, do you know if it does or not? Uh, I do not think so. Because the yeah, seventh injector so would be behind. The it servo. would be in the. Uh, yeah, I don't think it has one. All right, so then it just uses um, post injection. So, yeah, it's really hard for raw fuel to get into there unless you're having some sort of injector issue or something. But um, you should see evidence of, you know, fuel slobbering really bad inside your uh, your exhaust when you tear it apart. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, another quick question I had was, being an emergency vehicle, this particular one has uh, only, it's, it's 2019, it only has 52,000 miles on the odometer, but... It has 12,000 hours on the hour meter. Uh, is there, for this severe duty stuff, is there like some kind of hours that I should just pull these DPFs and, and get them cleaned out? Because they, they never hit regen. I, it's just the way this stuff is. They're never going to hit regen. It's not like a truck you get in in Chicago and drive to L.A. and they regen on the road. These things never get into regen. So if you did an average speed of like 30 miles per hour, then I would probably pull the DPF every like seven, 8,000 hours. Okay. Okay. That's, that's a, a lot higher than I thought. Um, but because, uh, well, if you I mean, 7,000 hours, 30 miles per hour on average is 200,000 miles. It roughly, if you do it that way. Because again, you know, the boss is all up in arms because I mean, this whole DPF system is about $17,000. <laughs> so yeah, it, 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 when this melts down and this malfunction, it, it's an expensive. It's an expensive fix, and I, I'm trying oh, yeah. not to have another one because I got six of them. So I don't want this to happen again. <laughs> All right, I will. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to be more often, but that's um, you know. Uh, um, another thing would be should should. And I'm, I keep talking to him about it. Would the diesel max mileage catalyst help a lot for these things? In your situation, yeah, a lot. Because you can't get it up to regen temp. And that's going to yeah. lower that threshold that's going to take the decompose that soot. So, yeah, that's going okay. to help in sort of the in situation. Okay. Fantastic. That's what I want to know. You guys have a good day. All right. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Uh, we're down to our last call. Calls have been really light today. If you want to jump in, now is your chance. 855-950-3835. We'll hang out till, uh, till we run out of calls today or 11 o'clock, whichever comes first for me. Let's, uh, let's head off to Virginia. Lee, welcome to the program. Thank you guys for taking my call. I've Got a 2015 Volvo VNL with an ISX 15. Uh, the truck showed 260,000 miles on it when I bought it two and a half years ago. I've got 450 on it now. But I'm beginning to see uh, the shop that I've used for 30 years is we're beginning to think that there's more miles on it than what the ECM is showing. Is there any way that I can go in and find out exactly how many miles are on this? Uh, Leroy, I'll let you answer you that maybe electronically, and then I've got an idea after that. Go ahead. Okay. 
You, you said it was a VNL. What engine? ISX. Yeah, yeah. You can go into the right. um, the trip report and get it that way. What if the ECM's okay. been changed? But that's going to be whatever. If the ECM was changed and the template was moved over, then the numbers would follow. If it was changed and no previous template was set up, then yeah, it would be different. What year is this truck? One other thing would be 15. 15. Okay. Go ahead, Pete. 2015. So one other thing would be he could run the engine serial number through Insight, where a shop could do that, and and look at uh, warranty repairs. Historically. If, if there was warranty right. on an ECM at you know, 100,000 miles, there could be 100,000 miles more on the engine than what you're seeing. What about your road dig? Does that, yeah, does that's that work? Rig dig, right. That's what I was going to say. With rig dig, it rig depends. Dig. Sometimes okay. it can help us a lot with this, sometimes not so much. Every time the truck gets rigdig.com, rig yeah. Um, it's like Carfax for a yeah, truck. Yeah, I did a. Okay. What was that show? Right. I did the rig dig before I bought it. It uh, showed the miles of swaths on it. If How many times had it been bought and sold? Just once. Okay. On a 15 only being sold. Why do you feel. So, how many, how many miles did you say were on this thing when you bought it? And what year did you buy it? 200. I bought it in uh, 20, and it had 260,000 miles on it. Who Do you remember who owned it prior to you? Yes, it was uh, Slate Tanker Lines. Because that does seem really low miles for a 2015. What that might tell us is something's yep. either been altered, which is what we're trying to figure out, or... This truck spent a lot of time in the shop. We see that sometimes too. Some, sometimes with fleets, especially, they get one of these oddball trucks that they just can't get fixed and they let it sit and then they try again later and then they sell it. Uh, so it might be original miles and that might actually be a bad thing. I think between the ECM, Insight, and Rig Dig, we should probably be able to figure this out. Did the mileage make sense on the one sale that there was? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. This this came through a dealer. I bought it from a dealer, and uh, you know, it seemed that's it, how come I bought it was because of the low mileage. But it's it's been one plague after another. So uh, having it in the shop all the time, I could understand it on this one. It, it may have been. Here's something else I would I mean, try. That this can get. Sometimes you just get good information right off the bat. Other times you can dig and not get anywhere. But I, I would consider, and I've done it, I would call the company that owned it. I would just ask them, you know, was it, why was this truck such low mileage? You may find somebody there that'll answer your question for you. Okay, that's an idea. What about idle time? There seemed to be excessive idle time on it. You can look that up in the ECM. Yeah, it should be a percentage. Okay, that, that, yeah, okay, I'll look that, look that up. The, the other thing I thought about? of was the ABS controller might the ABS module might uh, have kept track of that too because it has all of its own wheel speed sensors, so it might keep its own distance. Some of them do that, some don't. Okay, never thought. And no about one ever thinks way. to I'll... replace that when they try to. Right. <laughs> okay, that that tells gives me some ideas. I appreciate the information, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Yet, uh, Thank you, sir. It's. Kind of interesting with all three of us, and you know, we came up with all kinds of ideas on how to verify this. Should be able to figure it out. Yeah, a lot of ways to skin a cat. 
Yeah, and that's the best yeah. cat. It's anyway. actually pretty hard to make the dad. It, it, it's really hard because I've had people that wanted me to do that. And I, you know, obviously you can't cause it's a, uh, it's a felony, but yeah, it this, if you wanted to go backwards, that's, that's not necessarily an easy thing. I mean, typically you have to replace the dash. The ECM will go happily go forward, but it won't go backwards. Yeah. Unless you really start to dig into its memory and stuff. Then most of the time the dash keeps its own. Like if you update the dash with a mileage of 600,000 and then you put a ECM on, it says 400, it doesn't automatically go back to 400. It says, well, the last one I got was 600. I'm not going to go backwards. <laughs> right. I only increment. I, I don't decrement. Got it. Decrement. I didn't even know that was a word. I'm assuming yeah. it's the opposite of yeah. increment. I've never heard yeah, that. Yeah, like um, in computer programming, that's, yeah. Huh. All right. I learned something today. <laughs> when they register, like, you know, on your car, when you send in your registration, you have to write the miles down. So one right. way of them keeping track that, that you're not. That's where rig you know, dig gets it. Trucks do the same thing? Yes, that's where rig dig gets okay, it. That's so where the road pay comes. The, the, the more times the truck is transferred, the easier it is to keep up with the mileage. But if it goes a long time like this one did, um, only being sold once in six or seven years, um, it can be a clue, but we still might not be able to figure it out. You know, did it put, have a lot of miles put on it during that time and then somebody put a new ECM or tried to run it backwards, whatever they did? Or did it just not have as many miles as we expected during that time because it was in the shop or for some other reason, too? You know, sometimes fleets have too many trucks and not and enough drivers and, and things get parked. Right. But I think we should be, I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of leaning towards, based on the story, it might have just spent too much time in the shop. Yeah, that seems like the most likely thing. Is that we and, just and he's having going. problems now. Yeah. But that's Which what I mean. He, right. That's why they sold it with right. 200000 Right. Yeah, if he had no problems with the truck, that would be questionable. Yeah, but it, it sounds like that might be the most likely answer here. Let's, uh, let's go to Iowa. Brandy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Um, simple question. Um, I'm using the Max Miler. Listened to a show a while back, uh, Power Hour, um, about the Lucas uh, fuel injector. Are they the same thing? And if they're not, can I use them together? Um, I'm a company driver. So they are not the same thing. Good. So, so there are two different items. The, the Max Mileage is a catalyst, which is going to affect combustion. The uh, Lucas upper cylinder additive adds lubricity and some cleaners. And yes, you can run them together. We, we do in our um, Dodge pickups with the diesels in it. And so it's gonna do two things. The, the max mileage will help with combustion, reduce soot, help reduce emission issues. And the Lucas will add lubricity and some cleaners, which will help the life of the injectors in the fuel system. Awesome, I'll do that. I'm personally involved, uh, person getting involved in the truck for peace of mind, and uh, I will definitely do that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Mississippi. Tom, welcome. Yeah, hey, Kevin. Pete and Leroy. <laughs> After the, the guy that called with the fire truck and all the all the uh, all the emissions problems, um, one of two things happened with Bruce. Either he is not listening to the show. Or he would have texted you and said, bring up the max mileage catalyst. 
Or did you guys see Mitch McConnell the other day at the podium where he stroked out like, or he did yeah. that? So, so yeah. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that that guy had to bring up the back. I'm screaming Max Mileage. Why don't you tell him about the Max Mileage? Um, uh, and so after 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 that, I got thinking. Well, you know, all the so we came out with all the smog stuff. Do you guys remember when the like the uh, the '85, the '15, the the um the blend comes out for the for the um, biodiesel? About when did that come out? Ooh, I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. yeah. I, it's been around for a while. I know yeah. that. I mean, I think they've been playing with biodiesel yeah. for decades. Now. Yeah, it's been a long time. Well, but they haven't been putting in our. They well, they haven't. They haven't been putting in our diesel that awful long. I mean, it hasn't been Whoa. so prevalent as it is now. Well, I, I remember talking about it, and it was a long time ago. I can remember that first winter. We had all kinds of filters clogging, and nobody could figure out why. So I, I do remember talking about it when it hit the market, and it's been a while. I'm thinking easily well, more than 10 more years. Than weeks ago, I saw yeah, more, yeah, about uh, 10 years. Yeah. So about the same time they came out with all the smog stuff, they throw the, the – um, the biodiesel at us around the same time. They haven't got the, the you know, the smog issues figured out in the in the uh, in the trucks. Then they throw the E85 at the same about the same time. You yeah, know? yeah, um, it was it, it was all and, happening around and, that same. The other thing we have to remember, biodiesel. The word doesn't tell us a whole lot. There's lots of different ways to no. make biodiesel, lots of different things to make it from. I've seen algae and used cooking oil. and there's Algae, just, right. There's all kinds. There, there's what was there was even a different name for some of these fuels. Now I can't remember what it was. So part of the problem yeah. when we say biofuel is there's no consistency. It, trying to figure out which what caused the problem if you don't know the source of the fuel, how they made it. Um, honestly, I think we should just give up the whole biodiesel thing. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why we're even going down that road, but uh, it, we've seen a lot of problems from it, but it's, it's, it's just inconsistent. It was hard to figure out. You totally agree. And I, and, and I, I get to thinking about it and I'm, I'm coming up with it's probably not the diesel fuel that you because the max mileage makes us burn hotter. It's not the it's probably when you add the biodiesel with the diesel fuel that that's when the catalyst really kicks. And if you were probably to run diesel, the low sulfur diesel now, I mean, maybe I don't know, maybe the low sulfur diesel burns at a lower temperature. I don't know, but. Because they add the biodiesel, I think that really makes it advantageous to run, because like you say, the inconsistency to run the max mileage. And I think that's probably where half of the problem is, as opposed to like, like I said, you know, how they have 100% ethanol free gas for boats and whatnot. I'm sure you can still find 100% diesel fuel, um, probably not in California. But um, but I wonder if that's not kicking into a lot of the problems. And like with that fire engine guy saying that his his uh, engines aren't regenning, don't they have on on the Freightliner on the DD15? They have the manual button where you can manually regen. 
I wonder if that might not be an issue too. Yeah, if that fire truck would do a forest region at some point, that might have helped. It's hard to say, especially without the, the, the fire truck being here for us to look at. What other problems he might have had? You know, we're only seeing right. part of the picture of what he's telling us. You know, was there some other yeah. outlying issues that we don't know? Sure, sure, sure. Okay, that's oh, oh, um, about the little courts that go around the street. Yeah, I think maybe uh, we'll be to a point someday where we'll be able to just arm those things and then people will leave them alone. You know, um, unfortunately, we're not we're not there right now with the the, the communists, but uh, someday people will leave them alone. That's all I got, guys. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, move along. We're going to head off to Nebraska. Brad, welcome. Yeah. Good morning, guys. I'll go back to a little bit older technology. Talking about a uh, on a 99 Detroit uh, Series 60 on the 12.7. On the Pittsburgh power between the custom tune and the OEM enhancement for the OEM upgrade. Uh, is the OEM upgrade more centered toward fuel mileage and the performance is more performance, or am I getting the two kind of blended there? Yeah, no, the, the OEM upgrade is just the highest rating you can get from the factory. It's the factory calibration with no extra changes made. And that would be more so if you had a driver in a truck. Yeah, or, you know, you, you, got, you, you have a cat, let's say, like a 6NZ, and for some okay. reason you got one with like a 450 file in it or 430 and you're like, Hey, can I bump that up to 550? But like, yeah, we'll put a factory 550 cap file in there. No problem. But any sort of custom changes geared toward fuel mileage, a uh, power, a little bit of blend of both, any sort of custom changes to it made by us is the full custom tune price. Okay. Okay. And I thought of something when I was on hold, uh, Kevin, I got a rabbit hole for you. Okay. There is a guy in Canada. There's a guy in Canada. Uh, he's making his own uh, diesel hybrid trucks called Edison. And he is going to be offering retrofits for existing frames. Diesel hybrid. So what's electric, he doing? Oh, he's running a, an Acer, a cat Acer 9 uh, with a generator and running uh, electric motors in the axles. And, and what, does he uh, claim, what does he claim the advantage is? Well, he, you can run off batteries for about three hours, and then take, he said it takes about 30 minutes to recharge the batteries well, if you're doing it. Well, again, what is the advantage? I haven't heard an advantage at him. Heard. Oh, it's supposed to be fuel savings. Okay. What? Uh, so what? Like I said, it, it's a rabbit hole. I, yeah, and, and I've been down the rabbit hole so many times, I wish he could, somebody could just summarize why his setup is different from everything else that's been tried. I've looked at these trucks for the last 15 years, maybe even a little more. And none of them have ever worked out. None of these companies have survived. Nobody is building and driving these trucks anywhere. Uh, so I want to, it's no different than um, when everybody was talking about hydrogen injection. And I tested one of the best systems on the market and it didn't work. And then every time somebody would come to me with the new hydrogen system, I would say, explain to me what's different. I've used this. It doesn't work unless you have something significant different about yours i i i'm not even going to bother 
up and down this road, unless he can say, we did this and this was the game changer. Unless he can tell me that, I'm just not interested. I've looked at this. It doesn't work. Yeah. And that I don't know. I think he's gearing a lot. Well, he's gearing a lot of it toward logging. And so you're getting a lot of uh, power. Regenerative braking. So this is something I looked into a couple years back. They've been around for a few years now. And basically, someone over the road is not going to have any gain from this. It was something that would do in the logging industry. I think his market would be very small. Um, You know, as they're going downhill and they're breaking their energy back. Yeah. I I don't think this is something that's going to take off, uh, especially, uh, you know, over the road. And the other thing for a couple of years now. And the other thing I would want to look at is what is the overall cost of ownership? Yeah, we might lower fuel cost, but how much is the retrofit? What are the maintenance issues? How often am I going to have to replace these batteries? It, it, what is the total cost of ownership? And we don't have enough data to make this look even a little bit interesting. If anybody that I can see in the market is going to pull off something like this, it's probably going to be Hylion. They're, they're putting electrified axles in. Um, the idea of an electrified axle on a trailer makes all kinds of sense to me. Having a six by two tractor with an electrified axle makes sense to me. And yet we don't even really see that catching on. Yeah. Well, the criticism that I could see right away, well, the thing that made me wonder if it's, if you're already using an Acer nine cat, uh, just go with a D 11, like a Volvo D 11 and don't even use the hybrid. You're already getting advanced. Yeah. Get your mileage from that. So are you really gaining that much by using that big of a diesel engine? So and, I don't oh, hold on. And I don't know if it's a if it's a series hybrid or if it's a parallel hybrid. And I don't think it matters. I, I just don't see this working. Like you said, we've already got a nine liter engine in here. That's a pretty damn big engine. For for all we want to do is generate some electricity here, but we have to generate a lot. And that's the problem to move this kind of weight down the road. Got to have big batteries, got to have big electric motors. Mm -hmm. So now we've created a a truck with two different power systems. We need some very, very significant gains in order for this to make any sense to me. We've made a very, very complicated vehicle here. And I don't understand. And and you're you're constantly converting energy sources back and forth. That's just not efficient. This just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And like I said, I I glanced at it. Go ahead, Pete. Go ahead. We looked into years ago with uh, Laterno, who does the the big... Uh, earth moving trucks and you know our thought and this was again 10 years ago anyhow that hey let's put a small liter engine in there maybe an eight liter and that will run the generator to make electricity so if this eight liter engine's running at say 1500 rpms all day long to yeah, make right. uh, electricity we should get better fuel mileage out of it but the problem was we needed a 15 liter engine to do that job well just leave the 15 liter engine in the truck then and just run it, 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 it right in, Here, in your head it seems oh that makes sense here's the other thing uh, i can work on paper yes yeah here's the other thing i can see happening if we're not careful with this somebody will start comparing this truck to the average truck on the road getting 6.6 miles to the gallon which is our average right now on over-the-road trucks and they'll start saying well look at how much more cost effective this is 
Oh, well, fine. Now let's compare it to Joel's truck cranking out 12 miles to the gallon on a lot of days. Because that's what's possible without all this complication and risk. If I can go get 12 miles to the gallon out of a diesel truck, why would I even mess with stuff like this? Sure, compare it to the 6.6 miles yeah, to the gallon truck, it might look good. But so what? Why? I, I haven't run a truck that got under 7 miles to the gallon since like 1990. So the fact that our average is still that bad allows companies like this to say, look, we could beat the average by so much. Well, so what? Who cares about beating the average? Let's say you beat the best we can do with a diesel. Because if I'm going to spend all this money and have all this complication, you better be able to beat the best diesel on the market or what's the point? Yeah. And well, a Luddite like me, I can, I almost have the same argument with a troll with a truck that Joel runs. I see a lot of complicated electrical systems that are added on. Well, no, what I can it, get right now in the market. It, it's not that complicated. Oh, right though, now we, in the market. Oh, it feels that way. I guess they, I, I, I misspoke. They are complicated, but those complications aren't causing problems. We're buying these trucks. They're getting yeah. excellent fuel economy. We've got the emissions figured out. At a million miles, they're not even using oil. I mean, what more do we want? And you want me to go buy this crazy experimental driveline that I have no <laughs> idea what kind of problems I'm going to have at 500,000 miles? Yeah. So I would just, I'm just mentioning it. it. Well, I don't know. Beth, there's another good point. <laughs> Some out of work. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you have, and I, and out of work free you, know, you have a, you know, 60 series Detroit and a glider getting eight and a half miles to gallon, that can be worked on anywhere. Yeah. With, you know, Edison's system, where you can go support that. I mean, it sounds cool to me. I would, I would it's have. It's interesting. I mean, that's because I would work on it and I would have fun with it. But right. It's right. Yeah. Until the manufacturer and you have like a repair network and, Look, you know, the price is reasonable and things like that. Hybrids are a good transition into full electric, but I just don't know if they're really looking into it yet or not. Well, let's think about this, too. I just when, mentioned it as when hybrids first hit the car market. I mentioned this the other day. You looked at like a Honda Civic hybrid. The regular Civic got 26 miles to the gallon and the hybrid got 27. That's how bad it was in the beginning. I know they've improved that some, but it's taken a long time. Now, are, are we willing to take that risk? on a, you know, $200,000 vehicle that is is revenue generating for us. It's not our personal car. It's our business. I, I, I wanted to take the risk. 10, 10, 12 years ago, I think it was at Louisville, they had a truck like this. It had like a six or seven liter John Deere running a generator, same kind of setup. And I offered to lease that truck from them. I wanted to run it within my fleet to compare it. And they just wouldn't even talk about it. And at the end of the show, I saw it pulled out of there on a flatbed. Why aren't they driving the damn thing? And no, they wouldn't lease it to me. Yeah, I, I couldn't find yeah. any operational cost. There was nothing. And that was, like I said, at least 10 or 12 years ago. And I've seen other attempts and nothing ever comes of this. And, and again, when you look at the cars, the hybrids just didn't have enough ad advantage to make it worth it. But they kept pushing them. And I, I still don't really understand a hybrid either have an ice or have an electric, but I, the in-between seems to me like a big compromise. Well, you think yeah. so? And, uh, I do. 
Just my opinion. Yeah. It was, it was a curiosity, and he might be geared more toward the logging industry, which that operation might make more sense. Lower speeds, you want higher higher torque and stuff at your axles, right. and you might have enough right. set time to recharge your batteries and just run on the batteries. So, it was just curiosity. Yeah, like so I, that's all I got for today. Like Pete said, if if in order to charge the batteries, you've got a diesel engine running at fifteen hundred RPM. Uh, those little engines, I've seen them get pretty horrible fuel economy running like that. And now let's well, think it about it. Make any we, sense we, we have convert. an internal combustion engine that can wear out. We have batteries that will wear out. We have electric motors now that will wear out or have problems. There, there's a lot here that that isn't being talked about on a commercial vehicle. Mm-hmm. And to me, the the only thing that matters here. I want to see overall cost of owning this vehicle up to a million miles. And where are we going to get that data? Yeah, well, that's why I'm looking at the 99 Detroit that I have. Yeah, yeah. To me, this is all of these vehicles, whether it's the Tesla, the Nikola, the Hylion, they're all very, very early into this game. And unless you're like Leroy, who just wants to play around with this stuff, or myself, who when I had trucks, I may have bought one of these just to play with it and prove something one way or another. Other than that, I can't imagine why it would take a risk on a vehicle like this. Not for my business. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, do it for my business, but I think hybrid trucks have a lot of cool features and things that they can do that regular trucks can what uh, what could a hybrid do that once we get there that an electric truck can't do? Well, you have things that you can do with hybrids, like fill in the bad portions of like your brake specific fuel consumption map with electric. So we know like situations hey, like hey, pulling about, out from a stop. Is how about speaking English? None of us understood what that was, what you just said. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay. We know it's really bad for fuel mileage when you you start from a stop and you have to pull up pull out right or pull up a hill okay that uses a lot of fuel and you don't really go anywhere right an electric motor can fill that portion in so then you can use a blend between the diesel engine and the electric to use the electric to fill in the the not so good parts of the diesel for efficiency so like pulling out uh, anything sort of low speed urban area but once you're out in the the open highway then you can switch back over to diesel power where like Joel's truck, for instance, at 900 RPM, it does, it's really fuel efficient there. Uh, at like 60, 70 miles an hour at 900 RPM, the, the engine is at its most efficient point. So then we use the electric motor to, to fill in all the gaps of the, the bad inefficient parts, the inefficient parts of diesels. Um, they can help with braking, um, you know, to bring them back into generators. That's, that's another feature. But the, um, that's no different again, than just, an electric uh, truck. Sort of yeah, it's just then you just have the option just to blend blend between them. Right. So, um, so my, you're not really dependent on one or the other. One right. My question is, and nobody has even come close to proving this yet. We haven't talked about weight on these vehicles. I can't ever find weight. can't ever find cost. I can't find anything. And what we're hoping is those moments when we can use the advantage of the electric, which are minimal on an over-the-road operation, is that going to cut our cost enough 
to one, pay for this vehicle and, and the overall cost of owning it? And is it worth all this complication? I'm not saying there isn't an advantage at some oh, times. No. All, I, all I want to know is, is it a true net gain for me? And, and net gain in business just means I lowered oh, my no. cost. And, and if it's not a net gain, why would I bother? No, I, I, I would never argue for the fact that they need to be on the road. This is the next big thing. They make sense money-wise because they don't. But they're just, they have cool features and maybe someday when prices come around or they force diesel engines off the road completely, this might be a, a nice transition. But I, I don't want to poo-poo them because I do think that they have advantages and, and features that I think are nice. They just don't make sense business-wise. Which, yeah. So, and that's kind of what I look at. So I, I just haven't seen it. You know, I've, I've tried to keep an open mind. I've tried to say, you know, maybe something is here. And yet after years and years, there's just still no numbers. There's, there's nothing to base your decisions on. When we look at hydrogen, you know, they're pushing hydrogen electric. Well, it's so hard to get data. It's like pulling teeth. How much does this thing weigh? What are these systems in here that I have to deal with now? Where am I going to get my hydrogen? How much is that going to cost? Will they start taxing hydrogen like they tax fuel? Will they tax electric like they... At some point, whatever technology starts to overtake fuel, internal combustion engines, they're going to tax that source. And when you start looking at how much a state like California is raising their fuel tax to a dollar nine a gallon, that that is huge. And if we start applying some of those kinds of taxes to some of these alternative fuels, they don't look very good at all anymore. Well, and it feels like they're solving a problem that doesn't necessarily need to be solved, like the, the delivery robot thing. If we already have trucks on the road that they claim are near zero with diesel right. engines that we're used to everything as now, and it makes sense commercial-wise, why are we continuing to solve the issue? I, I, I mean, agree. it's fine in an experimental case, and when you get it out, great. And it makes sense business-wise, great. But don't put us through the, the pain and the aggravation and the growing pains of it. I when agree. it's a problem that doesn't need to be solved, if there's zero emissions. Yep, I agree. Z near zero emissions and 10 plus miles to the gallon. Maybe we should be happy with that for a little while. Maybe we should focus on getting the trucking industry up from 6.6 .6 to maybe nine where it should be as an average. How Does anybody ever stop to figure out how much of an improvement that is in everything? That's a big, big improvement. We have all the technology to do it. It's been proven over and over and over. And yet we're still happy with 6.6 .6 and we want to jump to all kinds of unproven technologies. Yeah, I mean, the solution I tell everybody, oh, oh my personal opinion solution is not a favorable one where if, if every truck on the road, for example, hypothetically is near zero, then we have a near zero transportation sector. That's not really a problem. But when you have 60% of them are that are not near zero, then why don't we just get the non-zero right. non trucks off the road? The unpopular part, getting rid of all the pre-emissions trucks. And if, if we did that, they wouldn't have to go any further with the emissions. I mean, as much as I like the older trucks, there's a time when, okay, let's just get rid of them. And, and nothing on a road older than 2004. I mean, because they say when you delete a truck, it's like adding five trucks to the road. So if we get rid of all the non-emissions trucks, right. then 
we don't have to go to this electric part, which right. is the unfavorable part. I mean, I'm talking from Pittsburgh Power, Big Cam, 60 Series Central. No, I, I, that I think that that's the that's the problem. You know, I, I get it. And, and nowadays, I, the, the, the neutral yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I don't even no, think we need to take trucks off the road. Why? Why not just let it happen through attrition? Yeah, well, maybe they're. I don't know. To them, I think that we're approaching the the deadly uh, zero global warming temperature faster than they would like. So yeah, they're just trying all to bullshit. stomp the brakes on on all on everything. That, that's all bullshit. Except that they're doing it by way. Of- more money right yeah <laughs> how do we get rid of the emissions problem oh we'll just sell more stuff right. get more money <laughs> yeah there you go hey the like calls I said, if, it, if it was purely an emission to me get rid of them but that's me anyway. yeah all right calls are piling up we're going to get back to them we're off to north dakota justin welcome good morning guys i got a couple different questions on different trucks here uh Looking at replacing the radiator in a 07 386 Peterbilt, um, possibly with that Pittsburgh Power one, supposed to be quite a bit better. Uh, is there a place to look at pricing for those online, or is it best to call, or do you guys ship all over the country yeah, or whatever? So we do ship all over the country. So the best thing to do would be call, ask for parts, and have the OEM part number with you so my guys can cross it over. And then we can now, generally, there are four rows, larger tubes, uh, more fins per square inch, which all leads into uh, increased efficiency. But yeah, give our, um, there's so many different radiators, we just don't have them online. I mean, just take up too much of the website. Okay. So call, um, all right. ask for Anthony or Craig, they're in our, our parts guys, um, and have your OEM part number handy, and they can get your price. Okay, cool. Uh, second question kind of an old school deal here. I got two Freightliners, 1989 and 90, one FLD, one FLC, both uh, 855 Cummins. Uh, first question on the FLC, I have no tack feed or whatever on that. Just curious where it pulls the tack tachometer speed off that engine. And then the other question is both those trucks have a Something in them I don't, I've never seen before or whatever. Maybe you guys have dealt with them, but it, I think it's called a tachograph. It's like a clock and a speedometer <laughs> built into one. Curious if I can uh, buy a speedometer and put in the dash and just get rid of that and use the same speedo cable or if there's if that Man. would even be something that would be possible to do. Man, I haven't seen a tachograph in about 30 years. Remember those, Pete? I, I do not. Really? Nope. I'm huh. drawing a blank on them. Yeah, boy, they were mm-hmm. they were fairly popular when I got into the industry, but they were they were almost leftovers then. You know, nobody was really actively using them much, but I remember lots of trucks that had them back then. It was. It I'm was just curious on even what it did. If it was like a time card deal or what? It, it's like, kind of like a. It's kind of like a mechanical version of an ELD. <laughs> it, it really was. If okay. if you go back and look at how they were used, it, it, the best way to describe it is almost like a mechanical version of an ELD. It was trying to track a lot of things that was going on with the truck around time and miles and those kind of things. Okay. But to answer your question, uh, on your tack 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 question tack. I don't know. 
I, okay. I can answer that question. So on some of the fuel pumps, they had a tack drive. Now, that would mean you'd have to have a mechanical tack with a cable, and I don't know if there's any of those around anymore. Um, next thing would be tack and put a sending unit in the flywheel housing and then run wires okay. to that, and it'll pick up off the heat of the flywheel uh, and, and read RPM that way. That's probably that makes sense. Uh, that I don't think there's anyone making mechanical tacks and, and tack cables anymore. Yeah, okay. I'm sure there are people. Here's yeah. um, okay. he, here's a little history. The oldest recording device on commercial vehicles is the tachograph, used in numerous countries throughout the world. It has been in existence for decades. Um, in the early 1980s, solid state based recorders were introduced. So once we got electronic and solid state and that kind of stuff, tachographs went away. But they were really, really popular for a long, long time. Okay. Well, it's interesting. They have two trucks with them in, and and uh, I was just looking to get rid of them and put a normal speedo in there because the one think either neither one of them were, will even read speed anymore. So yeah, th- <laughs> but, this this device well, do some digging. This device actually, you put in a a like paper cardboard kind of disc that was about the size of a uh, a record. Um, what were those? Thirty threes. Nope. Is that what that was? 33, 45s was the single, I think. 45s were the smaller one. Yeah, 45 was the single. Yeah. One song on each side. Um, you had a paper disc. It was a chart with all kinds of information on it, and you would stick it in there, and this device would write to that chart, and you'd take it out, and that's what that was the record of what happened. Well, pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at a picture of one and I can't believe people are confused by like scan gauges and stuff. This is so confusing. Oh, it was incredibly <laughs> complicated. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. People are like, I don't understand this damn electronics. And then they look at this thing. <laughs> like, what in the world? <laughs> There's look at all the uh, look at all the data that's on that little cardboard disc. I know. This is ridiculous. Yeah, they are. Well, they whoever were. made is like, oh, this is a good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Like I said, they're very, very popular. Huh. Okay. Well, I appreciate the help, guys. I'll do some digging, and I'll probably give them a call there, check on that radiator. So. All right. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. I, okay, great. I, I have to believe we have people listening to us right now that use the tachograph. I never did. I, I've seen them. Uh, I remember them in vehicles back then. I've never used one, though. I have to believe we have people listening that have. Let's uh, let's go to Virginia. Yeah, Charlie, welcome. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Randy called in asking about running the Lucas upper cylinder and the max mileage together. I've been doing it for two years. Bruce told me to, uh, instead of doing one gallon to 400 gallon of fuel, one gallon to 800 gallon of fuel, I got 1.120 out of a set of injectors. So it don't hurt anything. Definitely for itself. You don't see Do that I? kind of mileage out of injectors now. It definitely pays yeah. for itself doing that. You get that kind of mileage yeah, out I of got- injectors. That's phenomenal. I've got 2,011,849 miles on a 60 series Detroit 
ETRs that has yet to have an out of frame done on it. It's fantastic. They, yeah. You're doing something I right. Mean, it was just rebuilt an end frame done on it about a hundred thousand miles ago. And I stressed on the crank and everything. All they had to do was clean up because he didn't like the protrusion, I think it was, or the height on the number five cylinder. All he had to do was clean it up. Everything else was good. Good. And, good. But, yeah, Bruce is the one that told me to run that about two years ago. Uh, that it would help a lot because I guess the catalyst kind of how I think how he said it was it dries the fuel out a little bit so that one gallon of glucose every 800 mile which I do two quarts a week and it seems to put the lubricant back in there yeah the motor so fuel is just simply dry yeah uh, I don't know what he meant by that but I faithfully believe in that max mileage catalyst Two, three, four years ago, I had a pyrometer stuck in this truck. I had to replace the turbo two weeks ago because turbo blew on me. The probe for the pyrometer looks like it's brand new, like I just stuck it in there. So, that yeah, that max mileage really does a good job on cleaning stuff, keeping stuff clean. It's even worth running on the older trucks like yours. A lot of people think it's only for the newer trucks but it's still a benefit for the older trucks. I've got probably a half to three quarters of a million miles on an EGR cooler that has not given me any trouble. And when you take, I took it, had it took apart about two or three years ago. And while the EGR valve, you can stick your finger in and get no soot. So like I say, I'm a firm believer of that max mileage. It's well worth the money that you spend to put it in the truck. It's pretty, it really is. All right. Good stuff. Calls are really piling up on us. We are we're going to keep moving through them here. We're getting behind. Let's go to West Virginia. David, welcome. Oh, I got a question for Pittsburgh Power. I got a 2014 uh, T680 with uh, MX-13. And I'm getting a engine code for the BPV of positioning. Is incorrect? I was wondering if you could help me with that. Yeah, that's the uh, yeah, that's the back pressure valve. That's the um, it kind of looks like a throttle valve that's behind the turbo. They use that to to make back pressure for EGR and um, jaking and sort of stuff like that. But yeah, it's the the back pressure valve. Okay, so. Um, I uh, I had my truck into you guys uh, first week of April. You guys did fix <laughs> quite a bit of wiring issues I had. Um, so this is like the first check engine light I've had since I picked it back up from you guys. <clears throat> and except for I went on vacation for 14 days, and then I started it up, and an hour later I got this code popped up. And whenever I looked in Davy, uh, it told me that that shaft could be bent or stuck uh, so i cleared it out cleared out all the codes and uh that was two weeks ago and it i started my truck up first thing this morning and it popped back up again is there something i need to be concerned with or i cleared the code back out again um 
but I was just concerned if I needed uh, to replace a part or what yeah, would be your I mean, it, on it's that? one of those things where, yeah, I mean, it, that's kind of an opinion thing because I mean, it happened once. Okay. Maybe it just happened once. Okay. Oh, well, now it's happened twice. I mean, how many times are you going to let it continue to happen? You know, um, you can actually grab that linkage and feel what it feels like. Uh, I think you can grab the linkage. It's on the outside of the exhaust pipe. You can grab it and move it around and see if it feels free. But um, okay. generally, yeah, those BPV valves were um, not that dependable. So, I mean, without doing any diagnostics, I would say I'd probably start saving my pennies to get one. Okay. Because uh, whenever it pops that code, it also gives it, uh, an EGR malfunction. Uh, but the, the the BPV valve is the one that actually triggers the, the light to come on on the dash. So... I figured just yeah, it's gonna do the EGR. That's thing. what caused the EGR. Okay. Um, right. Yeah, the back pressure valve uh, makes the pressure and exhaust manifold to drive it around. So if that valve doesn't work, then it can't make an EGR pressure. Yeah, system unhappy. Okay. But you're saying I should, if I grab a hold of that linkage, I should be able to move it a little bit. Yeah, you should be able to. I I think so. Unless I mean, like I said, I don't see a lot of packars, but I feel like I've in the past grabbed a hold of that linkage and moved it around. Okay. As long as the key now, is off, I, make sure the key's off. Because I think if sure the key's on, it's powered, yeah. but it's off and shit. Okay. Okay. And as far as uh, swapping that out, do I need to? There's nothing that has to be readjusted or anything. I can just swap that valve out and be kosher, good to go. I don't think that that has a recalibration procedure, but I would probably double check. I'd need to double check that one. I, I don't know for sure. Okay, because I know whatever I looked in daily, it tells you all the steps in trouble coding and stuff. It basically doesn't give you any more information. It basically tells you that it's either stuck or bent, and that was about as much information I could get out of the software. Uh, yeah, Packard's lovely for that, isn't it? Yeah, they don't like to give you no helpful information. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I think with and uh, on a second note, I didn't catch the whole conversation, but the guy that was talking about the logger that, that uh, did the electric motors on the truck, um, I believe he's the one, what he did was he pulled the motor transmission out, and he actually set a cat gen set in the engine. I think we're losing you. Yeah, we we lost you there. We broke up after cat gen set. Uh-oh. Not hearing him at Goodbye. all now. Uh, oh, no, the call just dropped. Um, I'm not sure what he was telling us. So uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's um, on your mind today? Oh, lots of things, but I'll keep it short. So the, the weight of the electric vehicle... That'll be a mystery. It'll be a long wait, but um, it's kind of like when you're the apprentice that you always got sent down to the hardware store for a long wait. <laughs> Electric cars, if you, a Mercedes, a big sedan, S500, that weighs about 4,800 pounds. But if you take the same size electric Mercedes, it weighs 5,600 pounds. Say that again. I think I lost you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Electric Mercedes, uh, a big electric Mercedes sedan, it weighs about 5,600 pounds. Whoa. Where a gasoline, a gasoline Mercedes car, the same size, weighs 4,800. 
That's a big difference. So it's like 10, 15% heavier. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have problems with tires with the electric vehicles. They uh, redesigned the tires for the weight. It, not only the weight, the torque. Yeah. And the, I mean, think about the torque differences. The torque. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard on tires. Now, <laughs> these things should yeah. be smart enough. And I just, maybe we're just not there yet. They should be smart enough to really manage that torque. And you would think you would get longer life out of tires with all the control you can have with an electric motor, but it doesn't seem to be the case yet. But that weight difference. Now, I would venture to say that the percentage change is going to be smaller in a truck than it is in a car. So if it's 15% on the car, maybe it's only going to be 10 on a truck. I I think just because of the differences in size and why a truck is so heavy that a lot of that won't change. But we can't really afford a 10% hit on capacity. I mean, that's a lot. No. Yeah. So... And, a and truck I drove let's, in New Zealand. Let, let's be real, too. If this is about the environment, and that's what they claim all this is about, um, we could actually yeah. make things worse. If you put trucks out there that lose 10% of their capacity, now you need 11 trucks when you used to be able to move it with 10. And we have to remember, this electricity is not emission-free, the vehicle might be zero emission, but from what I understand, we're still generating yeah, the, most of the electricity through um, fossil fuels. Fossil fuels. Right. So did we gain anything yeah. or did we actually go backwards? We might go backwards on this if we're not careful. Yeah. So a truck I drove in New Zealand, we we didn't use it, but it had a tachograph in there. And you, you had the little key, you'd unlock it, and you'd open it up. And right. You'd put the paper disc in there, and you'd close it. Yeah. But it was the original ELD, but if you wanted to screw it up, all you needed was a really good magnet. you just sit it there, and it wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, a- but that, that, guy that was, that guy that was looking for, that, for, the, for an odometer, um, he may be a member of a of a group on Facebook, there's probably lots of them, but dying breed diesels. They, you know, they were always saving old trucks and everything. So that might be somewhere for them to look. There's oh, there always you go. people buying, selling, and swapping dying breed diesels. So got yeah. it. So, there's a Facebook group for everything. That's all I got today. All right, that's all we need. Yeah, we're gonna move along. We're off to Alberta. Colin, welcome. Hey, how are you today? I just want to throw in a comment about this uh, electric logging truck. So um, I, it's actually got the thought from something you said. We got to compare the right things. If you're going to compare that truck to Joel's truck, it, there's no way it would ever make any sense. But if you were to compare that truck to the other logging truck he has in the yard that only well, gets, and I'm not kidding, two to two to three miles per gallon, if you could increase that to six or eight, Maybe the cost, I, I don't have, you're right, there's no numbers to know, but it could make sense. If you can go from two miles to gallon to eight miles per gallon, some of those logging trucks only do three to 400 kilometers a day maximum, but right. they're running like four, seven, seven rear ends because they have to climb up an 18% grade. If you could remove that, throw in electric motors, and then, I think it was Pete mentioned, you can fill in some of the gaps. Like you, that truck, the, the, the tranny doesn't matter anymore if you're running pure electric motors. So you'd have perfect torque at 
18% hill out in the bush, chained up, and you'd also have the perfect amount of torque pulling away on pavement. You could eliminate those two things. And so there's, I don't see any other argument that could, like, comparing it to Joel's truck doesn't make any sense. Well, wait a minute. So I, I want to clarify that. I, I, that's not what I was talking about, when I, and I wasn't clear. What I was talking about is we were talking about maybe this does work in logging, but not over the road. And we keep yeah. trying. So I was saying, if you're going to put a truck over the road, like this guy who called me and said, there's somebody else, they're putting the little cat engine in and then electric motors, which I, I've seen this set up before, that was designed to be yeah. an over the road truck. So I was comparing that, that, oh, that and they, when they give oh, their sorry, statistics, I must have the word there. no, I, I probably wasn't yeah. clear. We were jumping back and forth. But when, when these companies give their statistics about how much improvement they're going to make they always use the average truck on the road well that's fine except you're you're bringing in a brand new untested technology and if you're if you want to compare it to yeah. something you need to compare it to the best on the road because that's what we're capable of yeah so in logging i would say the same well, thing and that's what that's what not is what the logging guy right. that's not what the guy in right but in logging what is bc he's not comparing it to sorry yeah, I just want to set the scenario. We, ahead, we can use people like Joel and Henry and Alec and uh, Jamie and, and all these guys that are just killing it with fuel economy. We can use them as this is what you need to beat. What I'd love to know, is there somebody that's done things like that in the logging industry? What is the best most efficient setup currently in logging and does this beat that that's all i'm saying is is we shouldn't compare these new technologies to the average because our average in this industry is a big i think that's probably something we can do like you know i know some guys might want a 477 rear end so they can pull a hill but i also heard well why don't you put a two-speed auxiliary in and then you can actually change your rear end and maybe you can get both i know it's some of it is going backwards almost tech, but it, it worked. You have trucks that like I've been in a truck. The rear end was an eight. We had a four speed auxiliary so we could drop it down to a normal one. So I right. could actually drive on the highway. Like you put it in low range, first gear, first auxiliary, the thing would pull 800,000 pounds and wouldn't even spin a tire. Right. So two speed rear ends were popular in, in operations like that. We started to get enough horsepower and torque that that wasn't as necessary anymore. So we started moving away from that just because we had enough horsepower and torque, you didn't need it. So, but again, it, in any segment, when they start comparing these, I, I would much rather compare them to what's possible with what we already have, not the average. Because if we're going to put a bunch yeah, of money- Yeah, that's what you really need to go and, to Merit BC. Yeah. If we went to Merritt, BC, where this guy's from, I think, what who's getting six and seven miles per gallon with his normal diesel-powered truck? Is he better than this guy with his new... And these trucks are working. Like, they're in the bush. They, I'm pretty sure he has them on the road. They're already functional. He has them... I think he's been running them for a couple of years, one of the companies. And so I'd be curious, well, is he actually doing better than the other guy with the traditional truck? Because that's where, somewhere where the answer would lie, would be in that discussion. You know, I, I talked about the idea of if I wanted a project and I'd have a lot of fun with it, I just don't have time. Um, I talked about getting back into trucking, just 
grabbing my authority, getting a couple accounts, and then I was going to build three trucks. I was going to build like a new Volvo, probably the most efficient truck we can build right now. I was going to build the best glider I could build with all the modifications we've, we've talked about over the years. And then I wanted to buy a Tesla as soon as they're available and run three of them in the same operation and just start comparing overall cost. Well, and that would be a, you know, like I listen to your show and guys getting these mileage and like my operation is completely different. Like I'm 140,000, 50% of the time. And then the rest I'm empty. So we have lift axles on the trailer for that. But like just listening to the show, I've increased my fuel economy by a mile per gallon. Just from, just from list, like, like you love to say education, learning how to run off the turbo boost, learning how to do things a little different. Like, you know, Maybe it takes you 10 more minutes to climb a big hill. Like I have a hill I climb. It's 46 kilometers long. It's 8%. I'm Ooh. at 20 kilometers an hour. I got my, I can set it up. So my on cruise control, we have it turned way down. I can set it up. So my turbo boost is way down around like, like 11 or eight to 12 pounds instead of 30. Nice. And I just crawl up the hill hazard lights on really slow. And I'm actually the run. When I first did it, I was 3.8 miles per gallon on this one section. I've got it to 4.89. And I That's think a big improvement, I probably with a little bit more work, I'm hoping, I think I can get five on it. I don't know. Cause there's not a lot of, you know, the hill takes a big part and there's yeah, two right. of them on that run. Right. But I still think that it's possible. Like, I didn't do anything. We didn't change anything on the truck and I got a mile per gallon. So um, it, it, when you throw that in the mix. Which is kind of my point. And I don't even if, own the truck. I just like playing around with numbers. If we were really concerned about the environment and fuel consumption as an industry, we could easily easily bring that average up two miles to the gallon if we put some effort into it. But there's there's yeah. basically zero effort put into this. Now they just want us to switch to yeah. electric and hybrids and hydrogen. I can't imagine all the crap we're going to have to deal with with all those technologies before we get them really figured out. Well, I think we should continue figuring out the one we have now. Like, how exactly. have we gone from, like, from this now? The increases have been incredible. And, like, I'll drive down the road. I'm at, I set my cruise. I'm at 65 miles an hour. Um, I will get to the terminal in Edmonton where I'm going in two hours. There will be guys that will pass me. I'll pull in in the lineup behind them. So they're going to load, like, just ahead of me. There's no, they got there quicker. They spent more money on fuel. They're at the same place at the same time as me. The only person who gained anything was me. They didn't gain anything. They they only got ahead of one truck in the lineup. And it happens almost every time I go there. A guy right. will pass me on the road, and we get to the same we get to the same exact place. <laughs> and I guarantee you, I'm getting a mile per gallon more. Like my boss is, I don't know what it is. We throw out the number like ten grand. I might yeah. save ten thousand dollars a year on my boss. Oh, I bet and, you do. And I do it against guys in my company. I do it against guys in the company. And it, my boss, he kind of, he likes me because I'm like, this is like, I don't care. Go buy a new boat. You know, go buy a new thing. You invested and took all the risk. Hey, and I'm no one. He doesn't tell us to drive slower. I just want to because I think it's a good idea. So if your boss recognizes that and the number he's throwing around is maybe 10,000, and it sounds about right, when you're down in those lower numbers, yeah. a mile per gallon is huge in savings. Um, you improved your fuel economy like 20%. That's big. Try to improve it by 20% when you're already at 10. 
That's almost impossible. So one of the things I would happen to maybe talk to your boss about is if you want to incentivize those other drivers to do this, he should give you half of that 10,000 as a bonus and make a big deal out of it. Yeah, maybe. Well, one thing that was interesting, I went in and, you know, I'd been there for two years and we went in to talk about a raise and he knows about all these things and whatnot. And, and it wasn't even a, he gave me more than I asked for. Um, I'm really happy with what I'm doing now. Uh, you know, he, we get sub, sub every night we're in the truck. He pays us a hundred bucks that goes, it's cash, non-taxable. So he just threw in some little things. And the other thing that he did is, and this kind of comes from things I've learned from you. I drive this truck um, I drive a Western star that no one in the, at our company likes, like guys just don't want it. They, they'd say, I'll take the day off instead of drive. Like that's how much they hate. Really? This truck. I took this truck. I put it to, Oh, it shifts really bad. I don't know what it's the hardest truck I've ever shifted. Something about the way the micro switches set or something in the EC. I don't know. It took me six months truck to like, it was almost grinding every time, like not bad, but like trying to bump it in gear. There was, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something with the, there's could be something broken. I don't know, but you know what? I figured out how to drive the truck. I like the truck. I take care of the truck. I run the truck. Well, I wash it when I get home. It's I, I do all these things. So guess who's getting the first brand new truck he's bought in years. Well, it's not the other guys had new to them trucks given to them over the past year. Like he's been changing out some of the old stuff and upgrading our fleet um, to stuff he likes. And he's, um, the, we're getting a, it's going to be the arrowish truck in the fleet. Cause I told him that's what I want because it gets better fuel mileage. So we're getting a, I think it's a five sixty seven feet instead of the three seventy nine he normally gets, but I'm the only guy getting the brand new truck. And it's because I think it's probably because of some of these things that I do. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And uh, uh, absolutely. It, yeah. Uh, when you see those kind of numbers, it's a huge savings and, you know, as a fleet owner, I try to incentivize a couple more drivers to be like you. Yeah. Well, I want to try and turn them all on to start running fuel gauges just so we can have, because I, like you said, somebody on the show said, like, once you start running that, it's almost like you're playing a game. It's like, yeah. It's, it's kind of like a video game almost. It's exactly. like, oh, what's my, and I like on the screen, I don't, when I type in the info on my phone, I don't see the number till I have to go through the price and then push okay or something, then you got a third done, and then it shows you. And it's kind of like, okay, what did I do today? I know, What's my right. number at? And, uh, you know, where did I go wrong or whatever? Yep. We, we gamified but, uh, I'll, uh, it. I'll hop out. Uh, I re- yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. And I never realized, I finally logged in once on a laptop. I never knew, I didn't know any about all that other stuff about you could compare all the other trucks. Because you can't do that on mobile. You can't do that on the app. Right, it's on only, the yeah. actual. Yep. When you do it on a laptop, it's really cool. I had no idea. And that's a, uh, I could look at, I could see what Western stars all on my weight are getting. Cause we're, we're heavy. I, I lost the battle. I tried to get my boss to go a little better on the gear ratio, but he's, uh, he's going to stick with what he wanted. So I'm going to have to drive a three, seven, three. I think we're getting in the new truck. Got it. Um, all right. Apparently there are some guys, I can't remember. You have a tank driver, a tanker driver up in Lethbridge, I believe that's on the show lots. And he thinks that you could go just a normal truck down to like a 308 would probably still work. Yeah, I think he, that's what he runs his, uh, you know, I can't I, remember his name. He calls in quite often. Yeah. I've, I've talked about this. I don't think we're going to get much traction here, but, but I really think Volvo is missing a big market. Now that they've got that 14-speed transmission with two low crawler gears, a low reverse gear, 
the ability to run in multiple gears on the top end now. I have said it before. Yeah. I think that Volvo is missing out on not going after the heavy market hard. Some of these extreme markets where, you know, you only had a couple of transmissions that really worked well. None of them even come close to that 14 speed. And, and I just think that and, well, and and Volvo I, has a heavy platform that, that we can build this truck on. I, I just think they should market mm-hmm. it heavy because I don't see the industry going in that direction on their own. I don't see anybody out there thinking, I'm going to build a heavy haul truck and it's going to be a Volvo. But you really should be thinking that way. Well, Volvo should be flat out here in Alberta where we are with all the oil field stuff going on where guys are running like, five point whatever rear ends or four right. seven sevens like just terrible stuff or highway great for when you're off road and you got to do that stuff in the mud and chained up and that stuff it makes sense but like i've talked to joel and he says no you want to get the new volvo with the 264s and that 14 speed right and i kind of told my boss about it and he's like my boss is like well it's a brand new idea maybe in a couple years we'll get one and so i i got him from saying never yeah, that's a good start. So but maybe you know, a couple years from now, we can... Um, and I get it. People don't like change. But I could easily make the argument. It's not a new concept. It's not even close to a new concept. Joel and I did not know each other until um, just in the last couple of years, even though we started in trucking almost the exact same time. We were no more than a couple hours away from each other for a long time when I still had my trucks in Ohio. We came to a lot of the same conclusions about fuel mileage. And the one thing we always talked about was we can't build the truck we want because the transmission we want doesn't exist. There, You know, there's 300 models of transmissions and none of them were what we were looking for. We needed lower crawling gears and, you know, a, a, a one good overdrive Well, that's what I gear. mean by a new idea, that 14 yeah. speed with those two low crawler gears. Like Joel well, said, that low crawler gear, it doesn't matter what your rear end is. It's the lowest rate. It's like a correct. 40 to right. 1 or something. Right. It, it, it's what no we needed. Right. We needed. So when I when he says it's a new concept, it's really not. We knew this in the 90s that this would work except yeah. we didn't have the drive lines to build it and, and now we do so it, it's i don't know what there is to prove i mean we we just have a transmission now that gives us a low enough gear we can see that it's just a number and it gives us yeah. the, the top hey, gear we want off, so. my wife's calling me you guys keep talking got it all right hey um bruce welcome yes <laughs> you're just sitting back there <laughs> lurking you. I was at the eye doctor, so good. got good news and fair news, so everything's good. Oh, good. The glasses good. from two years ago are good, and just starting to get a little bit of the, uh, what's that thing when you get that fuzzy stuff on your eye called? Oh, Cataract. Cataracts. Cataracts, yeah. He said, I'm already, I'm already 10 years past the normal person. Well, that's good. That or is good 10, news. 10 10 to 15 years. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. all good. So everything's good. All right. Well, um, we have a new 389 in here, one of Corey Fox's trucks. It's a numbered, they've made 30 of these. It's a day cab. He hauls water tankers locally here. And oh, it's a beautiful truck. We're taking some pictures. We're going to have it on our website. Just some of the, um, 
the way they do the stainless steel fenders, but the way it says Peterbilt on the side of the hood and the piece of chrome they have it in just makes you feel like you're in an old diner, you know, having a great oh, burger yeah. or something. Nice. Yeah. So um, I, as I pulled in the parking lot, I mean, it just really caught my eye. Now we have a motor home in here. Pete, uh, maybe Pete went through this. They have a an MG that they do hill climbs. They're from Arizona, but they just did a hill climb down by um, Deep Creek, Maryland. Some vicious hills down there. This is on paved roads. And I used to do that in the early 70s, that along with the road racing. And I'll tell you, you want to feel your heart pounding when you're sitting at the bottom of a mile-long hill and there's seven or eight sharp curves and you're going to hit top speed of about 120. And you got a bank on one side and a cliff on the other. It makes the heart beat. I'll bet. So I'm going to, as soon as the show's over, I'm going to go out and look at their their MG racing car that they race these hill climbs in. Well, there you go. So it's all good. Always something exciting. I agree. And we got this army truck. Pete, Pete talked to you about that <laughs> army truck that's in here. I was looking at the picture of it. That brings back some memories. That was, uh, that's from yeah. the time that I was in the army. Yeah, there you go. So we're going to make it a, a little bit of a hot rod. That should be fun. Mm-hmm. So right. that's the beauty of this industry. You never know what the next day is going to bring. You know, you just can't be bored in this owner-operator segment of trucking. There's just so much all the time. You know, it's it's yeah. funny you're saying that right now. I was uh, on uh, X. Now it's not Twitter anymore. Uh, Freight Waves. Um, Craig Fuller started Freight Waves. Um, great company for data and all kinds of stuff. But he's, he's pretty active posting. And in one of his posts today, somebody else asked, um, does trucking get into your blood or not? Or, or do you have to come from a trucking background in order to feel that way? And the comments were, no, it, it's like once you get into this industry, it almost kind of gets in your blood. And Craig's comments were, it's never boring. I mean, there, this industry is just so dynamic, so changing, the things you have to deal with every day. It's probably why I like it. I, I hate routine. So I, I like the fact that there's always new challenges and new stuff going on. Me too. I worked in a uh, cable manufacturer between my junior and senior in high school, and that was strictly an assembly line, and it oh. was horrible working conditions, and I knew that I never wanted to do that for the rest of my life, and so I'm so thankful that I got into this segment of trucking. But, you know, you know I have a thing like a decoupage thing on my window here, and I'm looking at it, it says, you never see a motorcycle parked in front of a psychiatrist office. Well, yeah, you never that. see an owner-operator's <laughs> truck parked there either. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've seen that. You know, I, I one of my worst jobs, it only lasted two weeks. It was right when I got out of the Army back in 1985, and the economy was kind of trashed at the time. You took any job you could get, basically. Um, and I took a job in a factory that made knit hats, like beanies. And they were all, they did all the sports stuff and it was the, uh, Super Bowl was coming up. So they were making big runs of both teams, these two hats, the two, and I don't remember who it was, but I got hired there and my job was to fix these knitting machines. I swear these things were built in the 1800s. They were so old. Um, they still worked, but you had to be MacGyver to fix these things. 
There were no parts. You just, we had a little machine shop there. You had to make your own parts. I lasted two weeks and it was, I actually enjoyed working on the machines. It was challenging to try to learn them and figure out how you're going to fix this thing because you can't get a part. What drove me insane in just two weeks was the routine of a factory show up, clock mm -hmm. in. You got to take your 15 minute break at the same time every day. You take your lunch at the same time every day. It's all the same people sitting in there talking about the same things every day. Two weeks, I was insane. I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, that was a cruel lesson to me whenever I was 16 years old, yeah. 17 years old. Yeah. Oof. And, uh, Hated it. All right, we got to knock out some calls here before we run out of time. We're going to go to Pennsylvania. Brad, welcome. Hey, afternoon, guys. Hey, uh, I was just calling here last week. I believe a guy called in from Colorado, I think it was, looking at a single axle dump truck and was asking about the, the engine power and whatnot. And I've actually got one. And, you know, from what I heard, it sounds like a pretty good setup. Um, the only thing I would suggest is, is to make sure it's got a two-speed rear end in it. Um, you know, 26,000 GBW at the most, he's only going to be hauling about six ton of material in that, just running locally around, you know, it sounds like a residential area. And somebody made the comment about, uh, you know, a converted single-axle tractor. And what you got to watch with there is the maneuverability, because I know... The one that I have, I, I've done some deliveries in Erie with it, and I've literally backed into people's backyards in the city. And I've got a little F model international, and, I mean, I just have no problems. But I think if you had a converted single-axle tractor, you know, you'd have some problems getting around with one of those, not to mention the fact they're heavier, so then you're not hauling as much product to the customer. But... Those single axles, those things are key. I know you guys have said before about the, the two-speed rear end. If you have one of those in one of those little single axles, I mean, you, you can't beat them. Like I said, that one that I have, it's an 88 International with that little DC 460. I think it's rated at 250 horsepower. And I can go down the road no problem with it. The um, I've been calling on I've been calling on some road crews uh, counties. And they have the DT 466 international single axle dumps, and they get rid of them when they get a hundred thousand miles on them. I don't know where these trucks go, but uh, it would be worth it for somebody that's looking for. Oh, absolutely! They they are they are when that where I actually picked mine up, actually not far from Pittsburgh Power Guy sells used trucks, and I picked this truck up for $8,500. It's an 88, and it has 81,000 original miles on it. And, I mean, wow. there's, it, it's not rusted. It, it, and it's a bulletproof, you know, engine. I mean, it, it runs like a top. And, you know, and, and the biggest thing I've done with it, I run the Lucas in it, and I also started running the, the Catalyst in it. Turn that truck completely around. That's actually what got us to become a dealer for the, the Catalyst is running it in that truck because it, it turned that truck completely around. And I've what gone from about eight and a half mile to the gallon on that truck to 10 on it. What, what did the Catalyst do for it? It gave it more power. 
um, first and foremost, it, it did smooth it out. It, you know, and, but the biggest thing I noticed, um, I was heading into Erie with it, had, had a load on. I was pulling a pretty good hill with it. And it was one of those moments where you thought the motor was going to go. I mean, it just came to life. And I'm like, what is wrong with this thing? And it just keeps running better and better. The more I run that truck, the better it runs. Because it's getting cleaned out. Totally, exactly. And, and you know, that's the only thing I've done to it, other than, you know, your typical service on it, is run that catalyst. And, and uh, the same way with my triaxles. I'm, you know, I've got three triaxle dumps, and I'm driving my 06 right now with the IFX in it. And this truck, the more I run through it, the better it's running. I mean, just yesterday, yep. I, I was... 5.9 miles of a gallon with this truck, and I have in a triaxle that's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it it works, but you know, but you know, these guys if they're looking for single axles, I mean, either an automatic or if you find a standard with a two speed rear end, that's that's the ticket with those little trucks. If somebody's looking for a single axle, I'll put them in touch with this county down in Maryland. I don't know when they're going to be selling the trucks, but they told me they get rid of them every 100,000 miles. Oh, I guess nice. they don't mind spending the taxpayers' money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crazy. Let's uh, let's grab a couple more calls. They're still coming in. We'll go to Tennessee. And their garage right. kept. Every night they're in a garage. Oh, so. even better. Rulon, welcome yeah. to the program. Thank you. I have an oil pressure light or the oil pressure just gets really high like 70 on startup it's a 2017 freightliner cascadia with the dd13 and i was wondering if there's what, anything um, i should listen for what oil are you using look for i just bought the truck so i don't know what's in it at all and i've only maybe driven it a thousand miles okay one of the and issues is that sound. It, it it could be creating a little bit of the problem is it's very possible somebody's running a 40 weight oil in there and these engines are now designed for 30 weight oils so a heavier oil can especially cold will create a little more pressure so uh, you might just want to do an oil change and get the right oil in there so that way you know see if that makes any difference um pete leroy anybody bruce anybody know what is this normal on a dd13 Sometimes these numbers are just it's, normal. It's, uh, so I wonder if it's something. One, it, it, I'd verify it, the gauge do it the first couple and then, times. And then it goes down after, you know, after startup. But well, I do it, hear like a noise. As oil gets hot, it will create less pressure. It loses viscosity as right. it heats up. So it's typical to see higher pressure when things are cold. And again, that oil weight can make a difference. Make sure the gauge is correct. Now, the ED platforms had some issues with their uh, an O-ring on the pickup tube, and the oil system can suck some air in, which would lower pressure as well. And uh, you have to drop the pan and pull the tube out and see if the O-ring is damaged or not. At that point, you're obviously replace the O-ring and new pan gasket and put it back up. All right. And it, it did make a weird noise while it was happening, kind of like a, you know, I guess the sound you'd hear if, pressure was restricted so kind of like in the dash and it went away as soon as the oil pressure dropped down what does it have for oil pressure when you're driving it and everything's warm 
uh, right around 50. Hmm. Even that's and then it, a, a, it just went up to, to 70 PSI high. when it was a. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a just a random gauge. So I don't know exactly what it's reading, but it's right around the 50 mark. Yeah, I, I would do a couple things. I would yeah, verify I that the, the gauge is right. Yeah, and then if it is, I would actually call a dealer that deals with it. You know, there's so few DD-13s on the road, or they're out there. I'm not hearing from them. They might be in a lot of fleets where drivers aren't calling me. It's not a popular engine with owner-operators. I don't know why not. But it, it may be that this is a fairly normal pattern for that engine. I'm just not sure. Yeah. Hey Pete, what, what right. kind of things can cause high oil pressure? Too. Um, other than like a relief valve being stuck, that would be it. Yeah, it's a, any, it, any type of failure generally causes low oil pressure. Right. You know, over the years, it seems like we just don't ever talk about high oil pressure and what to do about it because it never seems to be a problem. Just don't see it. Right. I believe there's a pressure regulator in the, the loop pump itself on the DD platform. All right. I'll look into that. All right. Anything else? Nope. That's it for now. All right. We're going to head off to Arkansas this time. Brian, welcome. Hello, fellas. Thanks for taking my call, Kevin. Uh, this, this question is for mainly for Pittsburgh Power. Um, I've got a 2000, it's a 2004 NBN, um, engine and I had, uh, I took it to redneck diesel last week and they, uh, and had JR remote in and turn it down because I had my truck over there in February and it was dynoed and then he fine tuned it, changed some trim codes on the injectors and got some more horsepower and, and torque out of it. And, uh, but I, I was, you know, I was dumping a lot of black smoke and I wanted it turned back down just to the 550, 1850, 1850, you know, file with a 15% over to the fuel tables. So he put it, the trim codes back to stock. So, but however, before that, I had the fast system installed at Redneck Diesel and they told me, they asked me what my truck was rated at. And I told them that was before it was turned down. And so they said, well, we'd recommend the, probably in, in the industrial 250 gallon one. Well, now my truck, I just went on a run after picking this up a, a little run. And now I'm like in some sort of D rate where I can't get over, uh, like 13 pounds of boost. I mean, I, I can't, I'm wondering if the fast system has anything to do with it. And now if it's too big now, or they say, I don't know. I just don't have, it is not. Throttle. Okay. Yeah. The, the fast system wouldn't have any effect on that. Um, you know, keep in mind, years ago, we'd put the 150-gallon-per-hour units on Dodge pickups that were a 5.9-liter engine. Um, all it is by having a 250-gallon-per-hour unit, if you don't need it, it's just going to return more fuel. So it, it's not okay. going to affect the pressures the same. It's not going to affect anything. So there's probably needs to be plugged in and see what code that's causing the D-rate. Yeah. Sometimes the codes don't show up on the dash. Yeah, they're not showing up on there. And then... So I had the fast system installed like 10,000 miles ago, but can't you, aren't you supposed to be able to go like 30? And then I had the, I've replaced the primary fuel filter at the same time. Aren't you supposed to be able to go like 30,000 miles with those before you, you have to change them or? Yes. But keep in mind the first set of filters, because we're pumping 250 gallons of fuel per hour. 
it's going to clean everything up that's in the tank. So it's not uncommon for the first set of filters to need to be changed sooner. Okay. Um, Especially on an older truck. So how do you change them on that fast system? Do you, it, I think that I haven't really had a chance to look into it. Don't you have to replace them in a certain order? And So a couple ways. I'm a fan of fueling up the filters. So I take them both off. I fill them up with clean fuel and put them back on. If you're out in the road and you can't fill up the filters, I would take one off, put it on, turn the fast system on, let it pump for a while, fire the truck up, get the air out of the system, and then change the other one. Now, they're supposed to be able to pull through two empty filters and fire the truck up, but sometimes they don't. And then if you're at a parking lot someplace, you've got a problem. Okay. But if you're at home and you can fill up the filters, I'm a big fan of always filling up the fuel filters. All right. Well, I've been, you know, I don't know. I had y'all replace the fuel, all the fuel lines when I had the truck there too. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I just, uh, <laughs> I did, I guess it wouldn't have nothing to do with the tune, right? I mean, going back to the way it was before and I, you know, I just don't know what to check. I, I guess I could start with the, the filters and see what happens and then maybe get the codes pulled. Is there anything else? I mean, that maybe I could check. So, I mean, without a laptop, there's not much you can do other than change your fuel filters just in case they did clog up, um, which would cause low power and, and throw no code. So that's kind of a simple thing to do. Uh, right, now, that's right. where a gauge is nice. You have these little gauges you could put on the fast system and, and monitor the pressure. And if the pressure is low, generally they're 15, 16 PSI, and they're down to 5, you know you got a plug filter. Yeah. Okay. All right. That sounds good. I will check that out, and then uh, I, I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. Thanks thank for you. the call. All right. All right. We, uh, we're going to wrap this up today. Uh, I've got some things I've got to get on to. Um, anybody have anything they want to close with? I do not. All right. Hey, Bruce, what are you doing tomorrow during the show? Yes. Tomorrow during the show? During your show? Yeah. Let me look at my schedule. I have a haircut at 9.45 Eastern Time. I'll be back here quarter to 11. Ah, perfect. Um, we've got a really interesting show lined up for tomorrow. So um, you know Herschel, right? Yeah. Yeah, Herschel. We've been working with him in health uh, for a lot of years, we've made a lot of improvements, but he's he's always had these lingering things we just can't seem to figure out and nail down. So finally, I convinced him to go to Dr. Wilson. Dr. Wilson ran a whole bunch of tests. We've got about 40 pages of blood work and uh, looking for all kinds of things. Um, and tomorrow, we're going to have Dr. Wilson on the show. I'm pretty sure Herschel's going to join us. We're going to go over it all. And that would be 11 my time, 8 a.m. your time, right? Uh, I believe so. Let me check to see if we're bringing him on right at 11 or 1130. Okay. Let's. No, he's going to be on right at 11. He'll be on right at the open. I'll be there. All right. Sounds I wanted good. to hear him anyway. Yeah, and this is kind of okay. a, it's almost like doing a case study on the air so we can see, you know, what all these yeah. reports are, what they're for, what they tell us, what we would do. So it should be a good show. I can tell you, Kevin, with age, you you can 
have the body working and firing on all six cylinders. You go to bed at night, you wake up in the morning, and there's something wrong. I, and you say, it, no, what happened? It just I just had that what happen. What happened during the it's, night? It's funny you brought that up. You did? Yeah, I I was really active out in the garden all weekend, and I felt it. You know, you, I was out there 10 hours each day. And I mean, I'm pretty active. I'm getting like 20,000 steps while I'm out there. Felt good. Lots of energy. Now, I was pretty beat up at the end of the weekend, and I was tired, and I got a decent night's sleep. But I woke up, and my right knee was so tight, it was almost locked up. And as soon as I started walking, the pain was intense. I've never had problems with that knee ever of any kind, and I don't remember doing anything to it. I mean, nothing happened. Are you a side sleeper? Uh, Stomach. Are you a side sleeper? Stomach. Oh, you're not supposed to be in your stomach because it's twisting your neck. I know, I know. I don't have any problems with my neck anymore. If you're a side sleeper, put a pillow, put a put a small pillow between your knees, and it keeps the knees from hurting during the night. Yeah, I've I've but, never uh, had a problem with this knee, not even the slightest little twinge. My other knee got all tore up in the motorcycle accident. I don't even have problems with that one. But, man, I don't know what is going on, and it's still really, really tight right now. Okay, so the, from inside the groin, the muscle that runs down the side of the leg and comes in on the inside of the knee. Massage that or get one of those little massagers like I talked about a month ago. Uh, we have one and in massage the Massage that muscle because... We have a great... Okay, yeah. that muscle... Muscle will pull that knee out of place. You know, that that the inside of my thigh all the way down is really tight. That muscle right now feels yeah. like I'm flexing it. It's so tight. That's the muscle that's pulling ah, the knee out of place. Okay. The, um, the deep tissue masseuse at my one chiropractor years ago told me about that one. And I lay on my back with my rope, my nine-foot-long rope, and I wrap it around the foot, and I pull it all the way out to the side, and then I use my little massage gun on it. But uh, once you get that loosened up, then there's no more pain. Yeah, we have a really good thumper gun in the store, whatever they call those things, so I'll uh, Use it on the slowest setting. Okay. Use it on the, do not use on the high setting. You want to use it on a low setting. All right. I will do that, and we'll, uh, we'll see everybody back here tomorrow. Be safe. Get a piece of rope and put it around that foot and pull it out to the side and massage that, okay? Will do. Thanks. All right. All right. We'll see everybody back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.